Welcome to the Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports Podcast. Presented by Luke's Pizzas. So don't do that for A. Thank you for the advice. Featuring Lucas Clark and Nigel Romaine. Tell me more about these lizard overlords. Now introducing your host, Tanner Retz. All right, welcome back to episode 17 of the Bring Your Lunch Pail podcast. This is Luke as your de facto host again with Tanner on the road alongside Nigel. What up, y'all? We're going to get to sports here in a second, but we had kind of teased this uh, at the end of the last episode with our special guest slash producer, Michael Tote, and his uh, event that was coming up at the Beacon Theater in uh, Columbia City. We kind of <laughs> bungled that a bit. You know, even despite the fact that we lived in Seattle for over 10 years, you know, we're still learning the landscape, but uh, Beacon Theater. The South Seattle area is still, still new, new yeah, territory. Still figuring it out, but uh, Beacon Theater in Columbia City, really cool venue. We were there Sunday night uh, to watch a cut up of, the Kid Na- of Kid Nation featuring Michael Tote, Kid Nation star, uh, reality TV show from our high school years, if, uh, if you're not familiar Michael Michael was the uh, honored guest, and the people that run the theater did a really good job of cutting up, you know, a, I don't know how many episodes it was. We were kind of talking about this afterwards. Yeah, it's a reality sure. TV show, so I feel like it was more like somewhere between 10 and 20. Like I, it, can't, it ran for, I can't imagine that it was that many episodes. It, it was 40 days, 40 days of television. So, how many episodes? 13 episodes. 13 episodes. Great. Thank you. Yeah. We don't do show prep. We do show <laughs> prep live. All right? And that's what yeah. separates we'll us. We'll do it live. That's Fuck se- it. That's what separates us from good podcasts. <laughs> is that we figure it out on the fly. Okay. So, 13 episodes. So, the person that works at Beacon Theater uh, and put it together, they cut 13 episodes, 13 hour long episodes into basically a two hour, 20 minute, I think is what it came out to yeah. at the end. Two hour, 20 minute shortcut of the entire season. Perfect. Perfect cut of it. I thought, yeah. I thought they did a really good job. Uh, Michael did a Q&A afterwards. Uh, we, got the, we got the scoop early to give our own Q&A. It was a really cool event. Um, Nigel, you have any impressions from it that you want to share? Uh, for one, I'm, I'm shocked that there were, uh, was there 40 people in that theater? Um, I think... So I was I was just trying to figure this out by looking at their website of how many seats there are. I was trying to do some quick math in my head because it feels really small. But if you think about where we were sitting, what there was eight to ten seats in that row, and there was probably eight to ten rows, so somewhere between sixty and a hundred seats. Right? I'd say closer to sixty, but yeah, that's yeah, that's like I said, fair. It, but so there's probably about fifty people there though. Yeah, it was it was pretty full. Uh, so, first impression, I'm surprised that there were uh, 50 or 60 people that were um, familiar with and interested in Kid Nation, but I love that. Um, a lot of people a lot of people had uh, 
some good questions along the way. Things that like, even though we've lived with Michael for, for years and years, like things that I've never heard about uh, kid nation. And he's not necessarily the one that likes to talk about it very often. Um, so I feel like yeah, we're like, the ones that press him. Yeah, on exactly. It we usually press him on it a little bit, but it was, and you're not always in the mood to talk about that stuff. And that's just one of those things as a, as a friend, you don't always necessarily want to pry, find those right moments, um, which the last podcast was one of those right moments, but right. It was, so yeah, it was it was interesting to hear some of some of the background stuff and some of it we already knew um, a little bit like his relationship with um, some of the crew members and stuff like that. But uh, I just thought I, I thought it was fun. It, it was uh, it was just kind of interesting to see see Michael in his in his element out there too. That was that was kind of fun. So. Yeah, I thought you know I don't ever want to give Michael compliments because he's a friend just and so I don't want to give compliments to any friends because you know that's just how it goes I thought the response that Michael got from the audience by being there and like sharing his experience I thought was actually really cool like it's fun for us because we know him and it's like it it's fun to see him up there in front of people and like there was a lot of people that had a lot of questions And Michael obviously knows how to answer these questions. He's made for TV. (laughs) He really is. Yeah. It it was a fun reminder though, watching this super cut of, of the show of just how fucking crazy it was, including I had completely forgot until, uh, the person who cut it up had kind of like mentioned it. Cause, uh, for a reference to, we didn't buy tickets to it. We go on the website day of, and it says it's sold out. So I call the theater like, hey, it says it's sold out, but like, I kind of hear that you could buy tickets at the door. Maybe there's a wait list, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, we have a wait list. It might be kind of tough. Like, whatever. We're just going to go anyways. Show up. And then basically, I think that this is like a two-person operation here that runs this theater. And then once they realized that we were friends with the celebrity star, Michael Tote, like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I think we have seats for you. We'll get you in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you knew him in high school? How was that? Now, or how was it when he left high, uh, left high school to go do this show? And I was like, it was really refreshing. And they're like, yeah, we have a ticket for you. <laughs> so, uh, but it was... I, 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 talk, I was talking about this today also that uh it's just once again funny to me that um it's or i guess another reminder that how rare it is and lucky we are to have friends from high school still yes. including ourselves uh as i think they were taken aback when we yeah like, i i agree they're like wait you guys knew each other in high school like seriously and you guys are still friends and you're still like, friends you still talk we're like yeah, yeah all the time, all the time. <laughs> yeah exactly and they're like they're like oh my god and it's just like it happens so often and in our friend group uh, most of you are the ones listening it's uh you kind of take it for granted uh, a little bit and so well, most of our friends aren't as talented as michael and they weren't on a tv show <laughs> oh so also true. i don't yeah, take those it'd be shocking. Granted, yeah. But yeah you're right yeah but, but it was uh, yeah I want to get back on track a little bit, though. That's a really good sentimental point, but whatever, fuck that. Is that they have an episode where they basically, because they have, if you haven't seen Kid Nation, that this might be a little lost on you, but, you know, hopefully hopefully the Beacon Theater will put out this cut, like, on YouTube. Because it great. is a really good, like, master cut. They have an episode, they have, sorry, they have a journal throughout the throughout the series that, like, the council members go to and kind of, this is like their guiding light or whatever. And they literally have an episode where the journal's like, you need to figure out religion in your town. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I completely (laughs) forgot about that episode until the person that cut it together was like, oh yeah, I got the religion episode in there. And I was like, oh fuck, I completely forgot about (laughs) that. that. And then when it plays out, 
man, chef's kiss. Yeah. Just so good. Anarchy on television. Yeah. The whole thing was... Yeah, add, add everyone's uh, feelings on religion into, uh, into a child's understanding <laughs> of what religion actually is. And, man, it was... It's beautiful television. This is why Michael had kind of touched on this, too, is that the real beauty of it is that... I Maybe I'm misquoting Michael, so uh, he's not here right now to defend his own words. But reality te- television at its core is that you just get these people in a room and they naturally have interesting things to say. And some of Kid Nation, I think, is obviously kind of manufactured. And this is a prime example. But yes... Complete anarchy is that you have children ages eight to fifteen, and then they're like, "How would you introduce religion? How should int- uh, how should religion be introduced to your town as young adults yeah. at best, if not just straight up children?" Yeah, and the, funniest the way part that is they that interact. The, the the funniest part about it too is that the the one who has the most like sound ideas and response to it is the kid who's like the second youngest out there that's like eight years old who has more of an understanding of religion than i do at this point i feel like oh the guy the the different yeah yeah who does the survey and poll like that was uh is that alex i think is his name yeah something like that yeah with the little with the little solo tooth of the glasses (laughs) yeah cute kid yeah very cute kid very smart kid i'd be curious to see what he's up to these days but yeah it was uh the most thoughtful uh, response of religion was from one of the youngest children there. Meanwhile, everyone else, like you said, pure anarchy. It was it's gold television though. Yeah. Like <laughs> one one last thing because uh, we got a lot to talk about sports related. We could do an entire podcast on Kid Nation, and maybe we maybe we will do it at some point when sports are a little slower. But one of the first things I mentioned to Michael afterwards because I completely forgot about this. The influence that George W. Bush had on, on so many people. <laughs> yeah. George on, W. Bush is president two times. Yeah. There's a lot of pro, And he knows nothing. Yeah. yeah. There's there's pro George W. Bush yeah. and there's uh, con George W. Bush. Yeah. But uh, the number of times, that was probably some creative editing on, on uh, the theater's part. But they really chopped it a lot of times that... George W. Bush is referenced in this show a lot more. I would add the under because yeah. it's easily, and I'm sure that there's some that are cut out, but it was easily five or six times just in this two hour, 20 minute cut of it. Yeah. So each time it was great. really telling at the time Saddam, Saddam Hussein is mentioned <laughs> in the show. Like, wow, man, if you haven't seen, if you haven't seen Kid Nation, like I said, I really hope that the, the people that put this together at Beacon Theater put this up on YouTube or something. I don't know if there's copyright infringement rights or whatever it is, but they already broke that by playing it in the theater. I'm sure. So probably, probably that was also one of my thoughts while we were watching is like, how much like leeway do you actually have with this? I don't, I don't know. See, yeah, CBS probably isn't coming after anyone for this since they, yeah, already, think they already caught enough. Yeah, you legal think that heat. CBS would be trying to silence this, <laughs> yeah. but regardless, if you haven't seen it, I hope that beacon theater puts this cut up on youtube or wherever but if you have if you haven't seen it i guarantee you can find videos at least clips of some of the episodes i mean it's 2023 you can find anything on the internet yeah i highly encourage you to watch it because it is honestly a reality tv show unlike any other and i don't know dare i say it it paved the way for reality television because it was never that daring before this yeah and now most of what you see on television 
is reality television. But switching gears, real reality television and is sports, and so that, and that's where that's where we really rely on. Uh, first team I want to talk about, I think, is the Seattle Seahawks. But before we get into the Seattle Seahawks, I think we got to address the real elephant in the room yes, in the do. NFL. I know that there is at least one, if not thousands, of our fans that have a lot of thoughts and opinions on Taylor Swift being in attendance at the Kansas City Chiefs game against the Bears, which talk about a shitty game to be at. <laughs> uh, I'll throw it over to Nigel, though. First thoughts about uh, Swift, Swift Kelsey relations, I guess is the uh, best way I could put it. <laughs> I, uh, I think it is... It's fantastic, and but my my first thoughts on this, like my, it's it's ridiculous and awesome, but what immediately came to my mind was Russell Wilson Sierra, like I already, oh. I already, oh, I haven't heard that one yet. That's I, a good point. I, I already like Travis Kelsey a lot, and like he's a cool guy, seems like. But what the first thing that came to my mind is like. I've seen some of the, the like like Travis Kelsey did his own like dating show that was apparently super corny that I've never seen. I'm guessing that only aired probably on in yeah, Kansas Cassie City. Kelsey. Yeah, whatever whatever it was. So I just I don't know. I feel like he has this corny side inside of him that if if him and Swift move forward, um, I could see this like Russell Wilson esque maybe like like you're with the pop star and you start to like go down this path. So, that, so that I would hate to see. Because so I, I, I hear that. I do think though, that that's an interesting point that I hadn't, I hadn't heard and I hadn't considered. Kelsey's in a privileged position though, that he's not the quarterback. This is true. Like he's, he's the tight end, but he's, he's already, still, he's, he's still already... one of the faces though. Like he's a, He's he's in the Campbell's commercials and and like he's in he's in uh, the State Farm commercials sometimes now with with Patty Mahomes like he's still one of the faces of the NFL and maybe he's riding a little on Mahomes coattails but he's still pretty big time right so, and I don't doubt his impact in the locker room and I get like if we're gonna really like unpack this Russell Wilson thing I don't doubt Kelsey's impact in the locker room but at the end of the day. It's just the nature of the NFL. The quarterback controls everything. So if they don't, if if they're struggling and they have this like image problem where they're being superstars like that, like Kelsey here, this is off the off the dome right now. Kelsey wants wide receiver money, and so he's just playing up his diva aspect of it because wide receivers are allowed to be divas. That's how they get paid. True. And divas date divas like taylor swift <laughs> he wants wide receiver money and that's why he's doing this is because he wants to be like no i'm a star i don't get tight end money i yeah. get top-notch like athlete wide receiver money because like this is the kind of appeal that i bring to the nfl those guys are allowed to do that quarterbacks you should be allowed See, to date well, whoever you want but you still need to ha- you still need to have respect and command a locker room. Wide receivers have a longer leash in that regard, and so I think it's a brilliant business move. <laughs> this, on his I mean, part. I think he's already proving that it's a brilliant business move for him, uh, and we can get into that in a second. But I, I mean, I'm just how long until like if this if their dating moves forward, like how long until I have to hear Cal- Colin Coward talking about like Taylor Swift wants him to move to New York or L.A. Like he's got to be closer, got to be closer there. He's get, like. 
the Rams are interested in him. He, he's interested in going to the Giants. Like, how long until I'm hearing hearing these whispers that Taylor Swift is trying to pull him away from from his boy Patty Mahomes? There's a major fallout. Like, man, it, I I could see I could see the uh, the towers crumbling already. I think, is what again, I think at. he's in a privileged position because, uh, you know, I think friend of the show Maddie had said this before. Is it is it it, it kind of gets lost because it feels like he's completely in the prime of his career, but isn't Kelsey in his early 30s? Yeah, I think he's 33 or something. So, like, it's not maybe. like he's necessarily in the prime of his career. Like, he's honestly, his numbers wouldn't suggest it, but he's winding down. Yeah. So, why not wind down with a Taylor Swift type? I mean, on a personal level, for him, he needs like, that financial I think, security. Yeah, he's been getting paid like a yes, tight end his entire exactly. career. Uh, yeah, on a personal level, I think that, that it's a great play for him. And like, we, he's not uh, Russell Wilson. Though. We're Taylor Swift stands. He's out not here, Russell okay? Wilson. Swifties in the prime of his career, like starting to date Sierra and then fucking sucking. Which we can. Get. I don't even think we need to talk about the Broncos, Dolphins, because like, yeah, we're, not, yeah. we're gluttons for punishment in our own life. We don't need. We don't need to. We don't need to express that on the podcast. I think everybody knows how that game went. But I'm, all I'm saying is, the Chiefs have had a really good thing going. And uh, if Travis Kelsey, you know, that personality tries to get a little too big for his britches, it's already big. If he tries to get any bigger, tries to outshine the light of Patty Mahomes, who has a a not famous bum wife. Uh, <laughs> Damn. Then, uh, then I don't know. The, maybe there's a maybe there's a clash there. But for Kelsey, I doubt. I that. mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm guaranteeing it. Okay. You're, mark you're more than, mark my words right now. You're more than welcome to throw that out there, but I doubt it. Mark my words right now. This is the the beginning of the end for Travis Kelsey as a chief. He will be in New York or L. A. by. Uh, by the end of next season, boom, huh. and it, that's basically <laughs> it. Should be the end of his career, basically at that point. Yeah, and I hope that he goes, you know, goes off into the sunset with Taylor Swift. I also that, the other thing with this that I was kind of thinking about is that Kelsey seems like a guy. I think I said this last night, but Kelsey seems like a guy that's there for a good time, not a long time. Also, well, yeah, and duh. so so. It's one or the other. Either uh, he's going riding off to the sunset with uh, Swifty, and and uh, his career is coming crumbling down. He's going to be in New York next year, or there's going to be a song about him by by the end of this season. We'll say we'll say by uh, by Thanksgiving. There's a there's a breakup song about Kelsey, and uh, and the Swifties hate him, and then he goes he gets knocked and. Uh, Gets death threats from all the crazy Swifty girls. So, well, that song will definitely be liked on my Spotify. Uh, <laughs> no doubt. I'm going to throw something out there that Michael might have to cut. <laughs> Is that uh, I think you're onto something, especially because of the fact that Travis Kelsey. Uh, how do I say this politely? Uh, I don't know. He's he kind of he has a type. He has a type. He definitely seems to appropriate a little bit. And his past partners, from what I know, usually reflect that. Yeah. So I don't really know how Taylor Swift is going to figure in. Is it like I think he likes some curves. He li- like, t- hey, we're all we're all Tay Tay fans here. Yeah. At least I think we are. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Like, I I respect Tay-Tay her. Tay Tay stands. And I, and Let's I, go. Like I like her music. Like she's a gorgeous girl. She's very talented. She checks a lot of boxes. There's no argument there. 
Travis Kelsey seems more like a guy that likes somebody with a little bit of uh, pigment to their skin, uh, some curves and stuff like that. So, like I said, this feels a lot more like in it in it for a short time. Maybe he was just compensating for something. I don't know. Seems like business move. <laughs> yeah, it seems like one of those. It seems like one of those things that's generated in a PR room. That like, hey, you want you want to know how, especially if on Kelsey's end. Yeah. Like, you want to know how to generate some more stuff? Like, he's doing Pfizer commercials for a COVID shot. Like, good for him, you know? And, like, he's doing all this stuff. It's like, you want to know how you could really elevate your brand? Because, again, I think he's his performance wouldn't say that he's on a downward trend. But his age would say that he is. Yeah. So, it's like, you got to capitalize now. Yeah, now's the time. This you have, really feels like a constructed. Yeah, you kind of have the cachet. You have the name. You've got the quarterback that has the that is the biggest name. Like use that. You're his. You're his best player on the best team with the best quarterback. Like use your. Yeah. Plus, use your opportunity. Plus, here. if there actually is something going on with him and Swifty, is it like that's almost like signing Shohei Otani on your team? Like, yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. the kind of fan base that you bring with it, that it's yeah. like. Like you said, if he's gonna move markets, that I don't know. I wish I wish love for everybody. Okay, I don't want to gatekeep love. I've already been a little bit of a gatekeeper. <laughs> I gatekeep enough other things. Yeah, exactly. I, I already gatekeep happiness. I can't gatekeep love. Exactly. Nobody can gatekeep love. All right. Love is undeniable. But <laughs> I think uh, I think a little bit of it is constructed. But I hope the best for him. It's probably enough on. <laughs> yeah. I've, uh, agreed. I, I hope. I hope it's true. I hope that there actually is something there because it's fun. Why not? I hope so too. It, America hopes it's true. Yeah, exactly. It's fun. Uh, switching gears in the NFL uh, and on the topic of love, the Jets would love a quarterback that is capable, <laughs> and I would love for them to have one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If yeah. somebody who has Garrett Wilson on their fantasy team, I'm sure you would love to see a quarterback uh. play. There's been some rumors that uh, maybe Kirk Cousins, now that the Vikings are 0-3, that maybe the Jets, and and I think he's on the last year of his contract, that maybe the Jets would look for Kirk Cousins and try to bring him in. Any initial thoughts on that? My only initial thought on that is that I'd heard that Kirk Cousins has a no-trade clause, so he would have to approve any trade. And I don't know that he has any incentive um to move right now he has the best receiver in the nfl he's putting up great numbers every week he's putting up over 300 yards they're not winning the games so why go to a team that is going to be primarily defense and run oriented you do have a good receiver and i think you have good pieces there but like on a contract including dalvin cook his former (laughs) yeah including dalvin cook former running back but like you have great pieces there but you're all, you're jumping into a new situation on a contract year in the middle of the season. Like you have no incentive. You you want to go put up great numbers? If fuck the Jets, if I'm Kirk Cousins, like right now, who cares? I, I'm gonna say no to that no trade clause. I'm gonna continue to throw for three hundred something yards a game to JJ. And then if they want to pay me at the end of the season and pay me a billion dollars, you know, or like if they want to pay me fifty million a year to come play there. Great. I got Garrett Wilson. But they won't that do sounds... that because Aaron Rodgers is there. But... Yeah. Well. Insert different team. Yeah. Insert, insert different team. But, like, if I'm Kirk Cousins and you have the no trade clause, I think he has no incentive to to move over there because 
you move midseason, you're already going to like be behind on everything for at least a couple weeks, regardless of who you are. And so you're like you got to be putting up numbers on your on your contract here. So I would say I'm not buying that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I actually hadn't heard that he had a no trade clause. That makes sense. Yeah, guys who get their contracts fully guaranteed usually know how to also negotiate that shit in. Yeah, so that makes complete sense. Hadn't heard that. That is a good point. If I'm going to play devil's advocate to it, though, is that if you're Kirk Cousins, you are right that you would be incentivized to stay where you're at, keep putting up big numbers, and try to break the bank again on probably a short contract because he's also not that young. But but he's he's shown a real high level of consistency, consistently mediocre. But yeah. That's where, if I'm playing devil's advocate, I'd say is that, like, there's still potential there, though, that it's like, the Vikings' defense is horrible. That's why they're 0-3. The team is kind of in disarray because their their defense sucks. They have offensive weapons. Kirk Cousins might be a big source of the fact that they're in disarray, but I'll leave that part of the argument aside, is that maybe you feel like they're 1-2 right now, but the Jets... Do have one and two? I thought they were in three. No, they won week one. Remember, even though Aaron Rodgers was hurt. Oh, the Jets. Sorry, I thought you were saying the Vikings. No. So, oh, so yes. I hope I didn't say the Vikings. I thought I, I said in the my Jets. mind I was thinking the Vikings. But, but yes. No, no, no. The Jets are one and two. They do have an elite defense. They do have at least Garrett Wilson, who is not Justin Jefferson, but I think many would. I do think that if Kirk Cousins went to the Jets. Garrett Wilson would look a lot more like Justin Jefferson. And depending on who's playing quarterback for the Vikings, Justin Jefferson might look a lot more like Garrett Wilson. Talented, but they can't get him the ball, right? Offensive line is still a struggle for the Jets. You have running backs in Dalvin Cook and Brees Hall. That's probably a better Super Bowl contender outside of the quarterback position than your current situation. So maybe maybe you consider waiving your no trade clause, be like, Here's my chance to drop into a Super Bowl-worthy team. And then I can really break the bank. I don't even need to go to the Super Bowl. I don't even need to win the Super Bowl. I just need to go, like get to the playoffs and win some games. And maybe my defense could do that for me. Then I'll really break the bank. If the Vikings go you know, 6-11 and 11 this year and he puts up a ton of yards, they're just going to say the same thing about Kirk Cousins. They've always said, guy can put up numbers. He's hor- He's not clutch. He can't yeah. win. I just can't. I mean, if I'm the Jets, I wouldn't even want Kirk Cousins anyway. <laughs> so, like, on both ends, it doesn't make sense to I me. would if I were them. It, I, you want to trade two first-round picks to get Kirk Cousins for one season? I don't even think they have two first-round picks to that, trade. That's, uh, that's what I'm I saying. I don't think it would like, take that much, though. You think the—I don't, I don't know about that. I, think, I don't think the Vikings are getting rid of him for anything less than at least one first-round pick. That's not even what Aaron Rodgers got. Aaron Rodgers, they traded for Aaron Rodgers and they got a like uh, a second even, round conditional third conditional, round conditional yeah a conditional first round pick. Yeah, but now you're desperate and everyone knows it. <laughs> so you're like, I I would think that if I'm any team, yeah, but the Vikings are desperate too because they're zero and three and they have a quarterback who doesn't have a who doesn't have a contract pass this year. Yeah, that it's like a third round good. pick. All of a sudden, looks pretty good when you're zero and three, and it's like we're not doing anything anyways. I don't know how yeah, I'm not a cap. I'm not a cap guy. I don't know how contracts work that in in depth. But maybe be like, 
he, I know he gets paid a lot of money. Like, if you can shoulder some of this money off of you, we'll take a third or fourth round pick for him straight up if you eat a lot of the rest of his contract for the year. I think that if I'm the Jets, I, in my mind, you don't need – you like, Kirk Cousins would be nice. You don't even need Kirk Cousins. Like, you can you can put you can put a put a fucking jugs machine out there that's gonna throw the ball better than Zach Wilson. <laughs> pay pay the jugs machine five million dollars a year. Like there's but but, the, but but they don't have that technology yet. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Something that can just get the ball out. Like he is, and he that's is what so Kirk Cousins is. He is so Kirk Cousins is well, basically that's, a but jugs that's why you don't need legs. And there's, I think there's other guys that are the equivalent of jugs machines with legs that you have to give up less for. Name one. Drew Locke. How about that? Like, it, there's... Is that... Is, I think that's an upgrade. That's it. Uh, I think it's an upgrade. You, you, you pose a great question. Do you actually <laughs> think that Drew Locke is markedly better than what Zach Wilson would do? Because um, I wouldn't think that. I do think he's better. I think he's better. There's no doubt about that. I do think I is think he he's good better. enough though to make them a like if if you're going to make a trade for somebody it's got to be somebody that you think that might actually be good enough to propel you to the Super Bowl and now as I say that I realize that Kirk Cousins is a really weird guy to, <laughs> to <laughs> like hitch my horses to because <laughs> yeah. of his of I mean, his uh, ability to fumble the bag in the biggest <laughs> situations but he clearly is talented yeah I'm not I'm not talking about Kirk Cousins talent I just don't think that. For one, I don't think it's in Kirk's best interest. For two, I think it's, I think you'd be giving up too much. And what about too much Ryan Tannehill? Um, yeah, I think that's fine. I think sure. Here's, Ryan Tannehill. Here's another one I heard that I I don't think that contract wise it would work out. I'm just like riffing off the top of my head. I had heard somebody say this, uh, a caller on Dan Patrick show, Matt Stafford. Move. Go, Jets go, go trade Stafford. Yeah. Jets go trade for Matt Stafford. Oh uh, yeah, I think that's a I mean, that's a high-end guy that I, I would say like if he stays healthy, that'd be a guy that I think could definitely get you to the Super Bowl. I I, I just think there's got to be other guys out there that are going to cost you cost you less that are backups. Like I just from I know I'm a Zach Wilson hater and anyone who knows me for the last several years has oh the guy's me. absolute trash He's horrible and, and i i think that i i can't imagine a worse backup like i i don't i i i just have seen nothing from him and i don't and i i'm surprised that i mean i guess i'm not surprised that they're publicly saying that he you know he's our guy but like they aren't saying that by their actions in the game in the third quarter he had like 11 passes attempts like 11 pass attempts for six total completions, like in the middle. I think it was the beginning of the fourth quarter, even. It's like, that's not saying you have confidence in a guy by go, by letting him throw the ball 12 total times. That says that you think he's trash. Like, and you, he doesn't deserve more than more pass attempts than that, in my opinion, because he is trash. He's hot garbage. Like, the jugs machine is more accurate than him. You just have someone. Pay someone to stick the ball in the jugs machine and launch it seventy yards down the field, and let Garrett Wilson go run under it, and that you'd have better results, even if they know it's coming. Play flyers up, like he is. Damn. He is horrid. Like I, I don't. I have no idea what they see in him. So, I don't know. Moral of the story is 
and I think everyone like he watched Hard Knocks and like they kind of showed him sometimes and like Aaron Rodgers like talking to him, but they didn't actually really show him doing anything. Like they showed Aaron Rodgers like talking to him and then being like, oh wow, like Aaron Rodgers is really teaching him and like blah blah blah. That's the fucking narrative, which we already talked about that before. That I think that's a whole na- that's an Aaron Rodgers driven narrative to try to push his image further for the end of his career. So that's a whole different story. I think at the end of the day, he probably he didn't show him that much because they're letting him pass the ball 12 times and uh, what six for 12 for 60 yards. And most of that's Garrett Wilson, like doing something with the ball after he, he catches it eight yards down the field and then has to juke 17 guys because everyone's playing. They have 11 guys playing at the line. You're of clearly scrimmage. upset like, because you have Garrett Wilson. Yeah. On your yeah maybe I'm biased. <laughs> I'm sensing a lot of anger <laughs> yeah. about the Jets, who we really don't give a fuck about. Yeah, I, I don't know what I have no no reason why I should be this pissed, but uh, uh, yeah, no, I completely agree. Is that we had said this before? We watched Zach Wilson at BYU. We watched him play against the Huskies. I mean, honestly, they should go get uh, Jacob Eason. He he'd probably have a better chance to. Yeah, uh, he'd at do least something. be. He'd at least go out there and uh, go out there and throw picks for you or something like send the ball. You'd at least try. Yeah. Zach Wilson looks completely lost, but yeah, I think uh, I think we got to move. We got <laughs> to move on. We got to move on. We could. I mean, the Jets—they're an easy—they're an easy target right now. But it sounds like we'll have plenty of time to shit on them for the weeks to come. Yeah, I do think though uh, to put a bow on this conversation is that I do think that it is in their best interest, and it will happen at some point. They have to make some sort of move, even if it's a kind of lateral move they said like getting drew lock which i don't think will happen but like let's say a drew lock type uh what about gardner gardner menshaw like that's a good one too like i feel like he's a guy that could go out there and easily be better than what you have Jameis winston like there's there's backups in the league that are that are better than what than what i'm seeing from zach wilson speaking of Guys that are backup quarterbacks. Let's talk about Geno Smith and the Seahawks. <laughs> wow. So I'm mostly kidding when I say that because Geno actually, again, had a pretty nice game. Seahawks end up beating the Carolina Panthers. What was it? 37-27. Score didn't really speak to how the game was really going. It was, it was a little close early. Kind of some disappointing drives that ended in field goals. But at the end of the day... The Seahawks get the touchdown kind of late in the game to open it up. Carolina gets a garbage time touchdown late to make, you know, it's 37 to 20, and then they score one, make it look a little closer. Uh, Interesting game, in my opinion, for the Seahawks because they actually started to look a little bit more like the team that I thought they were going to be, although they still fell short in certain areas. The number one thing, though, in my opinion, was that they finally ran the ball consistently, fairly consistently. That's one of the things that I we can unpack here in a second. Yep. Thought they could have ran the ball more, but they ran it pretty consistently and they ran it effectively. And you saw Ken Walker and Charbonnet get involved in the game. Thoughts thoughts on how the running game looked to start? Yeah, I think I think that's a pretty pretty uh, fair description there. I think it was. Uh... At halftime, we kind of, or I think I mentioned this to you that it was like 
why did we stop going to the run there? It was like the middle of the second quarter. Where like when all those drives kind of fizzled out, it was like pass, pass, pass. When we got into anywhere near the yep. the red zone, I was like, why did we, we just, stop running the, the ball? Seahawks started all? with five field goals. Yeah. Yeah. All, all of their scoring drives ended in field goals and were at 15 points. And they grew up 15 to 12. Yeah. So it, it Ken Walker came out looking really hot in that game. And, and he's so hot. He's so hot. Uh, but I, I feel a little bad for him because he's him and Charbonnet both seem like every time they, they get the ball and it's like they have this really nice run. But part of the reason that it's a really nice run is that they had to juke a guy three yards in the backfield, then the second guy at the line of scrimmage, and then they like get first con- or next contact with the guy three yards down, and then like stumble forward for a four yard run, and you're like, damn, that was a hell of a run. And you're like, I guess it was only four yards, even though they they ran about eighteen yards on the play, like getting around different guys. Um, but you, know, you bring up you bring up a good point though, is that I do think it's worth mentioning right from the jump though, is that obviously. Abe Lucas and Charles Cross are out of this game. And then even uh, Phil Haynes was out of this game to start. And then Damian Lewis got hurt during the game. So at one point in the game is Evan Brown is the only starting offensive lineman that is in there. And that was about the time that they stopped running the ball, actually. So maybe that's part of it. But it still doesn't make sense to me that they stopped doing it because I I don't know. maybe, Maybe I'm not understanding it but in my mind is that normally you would think that backup linemen is like lining him up and doing run blocking would be a lot simpler and easier for backups than understanding pass protection and picking up blitz blitzes because that's the first thing that i would do when i see that there's a bunch of backup offensive linemen in and they drop and they're lining up wide to be like we're sending blitzes here and trying to like and run stunts up front to try to see if we can confuse them but I did think that the offensive line actually did a pretty good job. Guys still got beat. Yeah. I said that before the game in the previews that there's they're missing guys at backer, even that uh Frankie Louvu from Washington State. I had mentioned him in yeah. the last podcast. He ended up getting hurt in that game too. Shaq Thompson, obviously. Out for season. Dog. But dog. But out for season, but he was so he was done before the game even started. But they still have a nice front seven, Burns, uh, Derek Brown. Like they have guys. I actually thought the offensive line did pretty well, considering that they're not the guys that should be in there. So yeah. I do, I I do want to give them credit. I mean, Charbonnet and Ken Walker both averaged over five yards of carry in that game. Yeah, and you're right that they did create a lot of that, especially Ken Walker. Yeah, but, and a lot of that creation was early, early in the game too. Like they still, they had they had a couple later of in the game. They yeah, really later in the game they really started down. to like wear them down, and that's what I've been waiting to see from the Seahawks team is like you have these two horses that, and soon to be more with when Kenny McIntosh gets gets well. Yeah, I still like, like him. Yeah, I like him too, and it's like you got these guys that that wanna wanna in, like in inflict pain on the defense for once like charbonnet runs angry seemed like that that was one of the big takeaways that he he ran into people he looked he looked for people to hit i think he could have got a few more yards if he would have tried to bounce a couple of those out yeah but he's he's hitting the hole and like 
and going like going full steam ahead, like trying he's he's trying to go through you, not around you. And like But that's that thunder and lightning that exactly. we Exactly. That's that running that's that running style that you that you love to see. It's like that's what that's what enables enables Ken Walker to walk into the end zone untouched is because these guys just got pounded by Chardonnay oh. all the way down all the way down the field. And then I like you, to pound some yeah. Chardonnay myself on <laughs> yeah. a certain Friday night. <laughs> yeah, hey, uh, but they got pounded on that drive by Chardonnay. I think that was our first touchdown of the game. Was or was that the second touchdown of the game when Ken Walker ran in untouched? But I think that might have been. The yeah, first. that was the first one. Yeah. Er, where yeah. Charbonnet got got stuffed, and then they kind of handed it off, to, and then they put Ken Walker in there. Yeah, he, exactly. But Charbonnet was kind of down, running it all the way down the field on that, and like, and coming at guys, and then we got down in in to the like the seven eight yard line, and then Ken Walker walks into the end zone completely untouched. Um, also, love to hear the uh, that they tried to put Ken Walker back in back into that game um on the that was, that was for the next touchdown. that was for the that was for the bobo touchdown which yeah. i guess that would have been that was actually the third touchdown in the game i think because ken walker had two in the game already right. and so that was for the third touchdown but ken walker was like now nah, keep keep charbonnet yeah, after charbonnet unhorses that dude <laughs> yeah at the goal line and just sends him yeah if you haven't if you deep. haven't seen that uh, try to go on insta and like Look at the Seahawks page. It's one of it's one of their posts recently. But this guy that is honestly though that is what I expected. Snap one, yeah, from the Seahawks of what their team would look like is that Ken Walker. You see it every time he gets the ball. The guy we, we talked about this before the season. The guy needs to improve on his short yardage runs, just like getting downhill on those third and ones. And I honestly think he's looked a lot better, but he also is still that guy kind of in that Le'Veon Bell, Michigan state type of runner that like, he also knows how to like sit behind his blockers, set something up and he's liable to go for as many yards are left on the field on any run. But then Charbonnet is just that hammer that can come in. And like you said, inflict pain on defenses. And you started to see a little bit of that this week, which personally has me very excited yeah. for what the direction of this team should look like. Those two guys, they need more touches. They got a pretty healthy amount this week. They need more. Yeah. And it's early in the season still and like you can work guys into that. But yeah, I agree. They need they need more touches and it just opens up it opens up the rest of what you want to do. It's like you it, they kind of have done it backwards in my mind a little bit where it's like last week they started to get the tight ends really involved and it's and then and they started to get the running game going a little bit in the second half of that that game. But it's like this game it was especially second half. You got the running game going. It's like tight ends were open. Colby Parkinson had a big catch in there. I think Noah Fant had another catch. Disley wasn't in. But it's like you got those guys involved. All of a sudden those play action passes like DK was just running just running DK like drags. He's he just really good. Yeah, he was just running drags down the field and it's like you run a little play action and play action rollout and then DK drags across the field and he's wide open because when he gets has to sprint or he gets the chance to sprint across the field not many guys can keep up with him, and he's yeah. huge. He has a giant body, so he can he can shield those guys off from that. So, I love. Yeah, I liked overall. Like once they their their red zone efficiency wasn't very good, or like once they got past the fifty yard line, it didn't look that good. Although that being said, it was good to see Myers get back in a groove. He hit he hit all his field goals. Like yeah. everything silver looked clean. lining exactly. Everything looked clean there. So that's 
that's good. Um, yeah, I agree. I like the direction the offense is going. It, things were things were really starting to starting to look good. Sticking with the offensive side of the ball, one thing that still has me concerned, especially as a Jackson Smith and Jigba fantasy owner, is that it still seems like they're struggling to find a way to get him involved. It was even interesting. We can kind of rope this into one point. Is that they even found a way to get Bobo a touchdown, which fans of the show would know that we love that. We yeah. love Jake Bobo, but it's interesting that it that Ate what he did to the Huskies last year. But love Jake Bobo, good yeah, story. We're we're, good jo- we're Jake Bobo fans, but it's interesting though that Jackson Smith and Jigba still a doesn't have a touchdown, which is whatever. But a I would have thought that he would be a red zone like threat for this team and so fizzling out and kicking a bunch of field goals in situations where you would think that once the field gets a bit tighter he's the type of guy that knows how to as your slot receiver knows how to sit into those zones and move the chains and ideally find himself in the end zone but even more broadly just between the goal lines in general is like you think that he would be a guy that would be more of a factor and haven't they haven't really figured out how. I even saw that today that they're working out Tavon Austin at wide receiver, which yeah, we're thin at wide receiver, so I get it. Because like, I mean, as much as we love Jake Bobo, is like he is our number four right now. So I can, you know, fear. I mean, Bobo's fucking awesome. Okay, so I don't know why you would need anybody else, but I can see theoretically why you would need another receiver and you would entertain the idea of working somebody like Tavon Austin out. But it's like, you haven't even figured out how to work Jackson Smith and Jigba into a game. How would you work Tavon Austin? in? like, they're, they're not really related, but at the same time, my first, my first thought is like, why are you working out Tavon Austin? You need to work out how to get Jackson Smith and Jigba more yeah. involved in, in your yeah. passing offense. He, you, yeah, you just need to, even if you just like ham-fist it to him, it's like find a way to get a, get the ball. In they tried game. once. I think they hit him on a screen pass that went for like no yards yeah. in that game. But Yeah, but I, you got to ham-fist him five that. attempts then. You know, it's like throughout the game, like minimum. It just seems I like. I don't even think he's a screen pass receiver though in my mind. No. He's, he's a slot beater. Like exactly. he should be running the seam. He should be running downfield deep yeah, or, comebacks or just like little bow tie routes and things exactly. underneath it's like it, and also the the other one they threw Gino threw a ball to him way late on one of those too yeah, where, that's where he he hit he hit his break and like right then the ball should have come out yes. Gino takes like yes. uh, takes a little like half step and pump and then or like little like look and then throws it way late yeah, the DB we talked gets about that there. when it happened so he, it's like when he got open or like off the break he's completely wide he has seven yards of separation and then Gino throws the ball to him four seconds late and, and that's still where Gino Gino again we're Gino haters but it's still part of his game that obviously separates him from somebody like Joe Burrow you saw that last night and they even or sorry you saw it Monday night for reference in the Bengals game that Joe Burrow's on a hobbled calf but he knows how to do that better than anybody, especially when he's full health, is that he's throwing the ball to Jamar Chase while Jamar Chase is still, like, in his break. Yeah. Because he knows that, like, I can already see what route... I know what route he's running, and I can already see the separation that he's going to get off of this break. That ball is on him by the by the time he turns his head. 
Yeah. And honestly, that's the way that Jackson Smith and Jigba needs to be utilized in this offense is because I know that he is getting open yeah. underneath. I saw that shitty... I don't, I don't trust all the things that I see on Twitter or X if you suck and you still call it... Or you want to call it X like Nigel does. I refuse to call it that until something drastic changes. But some some sort of stat that going into this week... I don't know if it's true or not, but I like to believe it's true that Jackson Smith and Jigba is like second in the NFL in separation per route at like 4.6 yards. I believe that. Yeah. I don't know if it's true. I believe it though, because that is the type of receiver that he always was at Ohio state. He's a route runner. He's like Doug Baldwin guys like that. Yeah. They're like, they know how to run routes. They know how to get open. You just, you have to see them. You have to know where they're going to be. And you have to get the ball out quick to them. Yeah. And maybe some of that is just you're lagging behind a little bit because he was hurt the last couple weeks of camp. and like Still building chemistry. Still building chemistry. Offensive line is all jangled up too. Yeah. So maybe that's part of it. But yeah, the bottom line is, I think we talked about it last week, it's like they... They've thrown, they've thrown a couple, or they've completed a couple balls to him, and each time he gets it, it's like he's, he's turned something that looks like nothing into seven yards. You know, it's yeah. like he catches the ball two yards deep, and it's like, wow, he has no angle, and then he and then he sneaks by a guy for five yards, gets out of bounds, like seven-yard gain. It's like He should th- be a first down night for a team that's come yeah, out he should be a third and that three doesn't nightmare. run the ball on first down nearly as much as I would like to see. He should be a first down nightmare. Like yeah, seven, seven yard out out route, seven yard bow tie route, like stuff yeah. like that. Just like, playbook opener, like <laughs> exactly. And now you're second and three, and yeah. you can do stuff. And it so it's been a little disappointing that they haven't figured out that. But I do think you make a good point that hurt during camp, missed the last couple weeks, still trying to find ways to get him involved. Yeah. Also, he's That'll still a develop. rookie. He's still a rookie. He's still a rookie. Like, sometimes it's hard for those guys. But he also I, didn't play much last year either. Yeah. So, like, still getting into game shape. Probably not realistically. I mean, the guy's a yeah, he's an premier athlete. But, athlete. but making excuses for him at that point. But yeah. it, it's going to take time to figure it out. I do think it's one of the parts of the Seahawks, though, that actually has me very optimistic, is that they've actually statistically, even though I think the statistics kind of lie in some degree, they've statistically been a pretty good offense despite that second half against the Rams. They will be better. Yeah, They're just starting to use Charbonnet more. They're haven't, they haven't really used Jackson Smith and Jigba as much as they should. Once they figure those parts of the offense out, yeah, I think they got it. Should be it should be pretty elite, and it should be the type of offense that I think we both expected. Yeah. Now, speaking of expectations, I think we should flip our attention to the defensive side of the ball. And the first guy that I want to highlight in regards to expectations is Devin Witherspoon. <laughs> so I think I saw by PFF, which for the record. I don't really like PFF. I think some, you know, you always like it when you see something that you like and when you see something you don't like, then (laughs) in general, though, I just PFF, I don't know. But at the very least, they had him for, I think, 13 targets and like three receptions for 19 yards, 11 tackles, two pass breakups. Yeah. Again, All of that falls in line with a, basically about the game that I saw from him. 
which was he really looked like the fifth overall pick. Yeah. They targeted him a lot in that game. And granted, it's Andy Dalton. We haven't even talked about that. I think Andy Dalton was honestly a bigger problem. I think the Seahawks would have won by a lot more if Bryce Young was playing. Agreed. And maybe we can unpack that a little bit more as we talk about the defense. But the receivers are also not much not much to you know cheer about yeah. especially that shark and Thielen. what are you talking about elite mingo their you know second round pick from old miss also got hurt in that game and then stopped playing so you know it's not it's not some it's not the kansas city chiefs that yeah, Devin Witherspoon put on lock. But it's still but NFL guys he's going against and like he looked really he good. looks he looks impactful and and yeah and he he's a hitter like he he goes that's in. What, and, that's he what you goes saw in and pops. Quick. Yeah, exactly. He goes in and pops people. Week one, you saw him. You saw it too. You saw him get beat a couple times. The one play over the top, but it's like teams right now aren't afraid to target him. But it doesn't really matter because he's he's going out there and making plays. But I think if you keep doing that, eventually there's not going to be much place to go on the, against this defense because yeah. it's... Rick Walton wasn't even Yeah, Rick Walton isn't even playing in this game. And you had you had Trey Brown going who got hurt in the first quarter, if I remember correctly. So you had a, a kind of combo platter of Artie Burns and, and, um, and Mike Jack. <laughs> and so either way, regardless of that, yes, I agree that so far um, Spoon looks like everything he was supposed to be you know he's he's never gonna be the size of jalen ramsey or one of those guys like maybe or we'll say jc horn since he's uh he's a carolina panther and that's kind of apt for the the comparison i think he was an eighth overall pick for them two years ago yep so like different size but also just like different skill set and he's much more physical gonna be in your face, going to tackle harder, going to be like, he's, gonna he's, get, a, he's a part of the run game. He's going like, to get called for a bullshit PI again, every yeah. game yeah. because he is a under air quote, undersized corner yeah, that, PI that plays atrocious. super physical, but I think yeah. he fits completely into what Pete Carroll wants to do on defense. And I'm curious to see if there's a shift in the way this defense plays moving forward. Once Reek Wollen is back, because again, we kind of said this on the last one, is that they haven't really played that like base cover three type of defense. But with Reek Woolen and Devin Witherspoon, what they've shown, they need to get back to that. Yeah. Put and- those guys out on their thirds. Quandre Diggs, let him take the over-the-top yeah. third. You're getting Jamal Adams back. Julian Love, he's kind of gotten beat up in certain situations. But... I do think, though, you've seen from Julian Love exactly what I was expecting from him. The guy is there to be a tackler. Yeah. He's he's, he, he's, he's still good. Up. He's still good in coverage. Like, not great in coverage. He's going to get beat sometimes, but he's going to be better than Jamal Adams. And you have... Uh, he's there to be a tackler, though. He's, he's yeah. there to be a space tackler. Like, I think that gets underlooked... In a lot of defenses that you need to have a guy that like, this is the NFL. People are crazy talented and athletic. You need guys that's like, oh shit, this guy might go for 40 yards. Nope. Julian Love is there and he tackles him. And maybe it's an 18 yard gain. You're like, oh, what the hell? Like, 
What, what yeah. is the defense doing? No one's covering everybody's like, guys beat defenses. Yeah. What you need are guys like Julian Love that tackle people, and it's an 18-yard gain instead of a 58-yard gain. Yeah. And, and he's gotten beat, and he's, he's taken his lumps, but I'm seeing that from him early is that, like, he's still flying to the ball. He got beat on one bad tackle. I think uh, – I'm trying to remember if it went for a touchdown or not. It was that – I think it did. It was one of those – it went to the left sideline where nobody covered that third. Yeah, and that the guy looked, just kind of catches it and Julian like Love a, flies in. He gets kind of beat and then – That also looked like it was a miscommunication. Broken yeah, bad coverage, broken coverage. Like He's the guy that's there last, but you don't know – what the call is on that too. Like he, that might just be, he's covering for someone else because they blew their. Oh no. At that point, he's just, he's just the only guy that yeah, sees that's that the saying. ball it's is like, coming out. And then yeah. he misses the tackle, which isn't good. Yeah. But at yeah, the yeah. same time, that's right. He, the guy cut back. on. Yeah. Him. That's the guy right. Cut back that's on right. Him. That's right. And, yeah. I remember that now. Um, yeah. I, th- and as much as we, as much as sometimes I like to dog on Bob Wagner, in his like later parts of his career now where he's not quite as fast and like up on the balls quick. Like he's another guy like that. That's like, he eats tackles up. Like yeah. if he gets his hands on you, you're not getting away from it. And so it's good that the Seahawks have those, those types of guys for sure. But I think that now that you got spoon and when you get, you get, uh, you get reek back too. I think that that's, you're going to be moving back towards old school, Seahawks football. I heard Hugh Millen say on the radio that even though they're, you know, they've called it a 3 4 um, defense, they ran, I think he said, only two plays in a 3 4 in that game. Every other play was ran in a 4 3 with, with two down line, or with two down linemen and then two DNs, like true DNs. So you're already like shifting back to that, I think, and moving back to that style. And I think part of that is because Spoon is back, and so you're 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 shifting it all you're back pushing, to what your yeah. what your actual personnel is, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm I'm curious to see what it looks like. I mean, the D line, Jaron Reed looked explosive in that game. He looked really good. He looked really good in that game. And we brought this up on the lot on the last podcast. Is that you're absolutely right that Jaron Reed looked really good. I still have major concerns that we had joked about this. I don't know what number Draymond Jones wears. Yeah. I made a point of it to know what number he wears going into the game because I had made the joke. He wears number 55. I saw him on the first play of the game because they like have the camera behind the defense. Mm-hmm. I still haven't seen him. I didn't see him do anything in that game. Yeah. Now, to he be did fair, get hurt at one point during the game, and I don't remember if he came back. To but... be fair... The run defense has looked a lot better, and I do think that that's a testament to the, the guys that are playing up front. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with Bo- as much as we've kind of shit on Bobby Wagner a bit is that he's still premier linebacker at run support. Yeah, and the guys up front have been doing a good job of giving him eating opportunities. up blocks and letting him letting him go make a tackle, and Jaron Reed's helping out in that, and the guys on the edge. Are doing a good job. Boy, Mafe continues to look really good. I thought Mafe had his best game of his career. He just was. He was about a half a step away from eight sacks in that game. Like, yeah, they had I a saw lot, so they many had a lot times where he, he just 
he just threw the left tackle's hands off of him pretty much and just was straight rush, like untouched to the quarterback. But Dalton's a Dalton's a crafty vet, and he made a lot of plays in that game that that I don't think a lot of people, a lot of other people make. Like especially a youngster like like Bryce Young. Like I think Dalton's been around so long, like he knows he, he and he has always kind of played the same style. It's why he was. I think never really got over the over the hump as a quarterback. It's like he knows how to hit a check down. Yeah. Like he can hit a three yard check down like nobody's business. And he did that a lot in that game. And it's why the Seahawks were able to keep everything in front of him and not really give up too many big plays and keep the game in game in hand the entire time is because they Dalton was very good at hitting a check down and, and getting the ball out of his hands on when he hits his third step of his drop. That makes it tough for any, like not many D linemen are going to be able to get home. If a quarterback is, is perfect on that, <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. not the nature of it. You, unless you have crazy good interior D lineman rushes where it's in his face. You and got Aaron Donald who exactly could beat a double team and get a sack. Yeah, and like we had kind of teased earlier is that Bryce Young, I still have a lot of thoughts on Bryce Young as a quarterback, but I don't doubt for a second that if he was starting in that game, the amount of QB pressures that we were able to generate probably resort result in more sacks yeah. or complete like throwaways as opposed to Dalton, who's pretty good at this point in his career, they're like, he feels the pressure pretty quick and just gets it out to his outlet. I mean, at the end of the day is that I think some people would look at the stat line and be like, well, the Seahawks still gave up, you know, 300 yards to Andy Dalton. Well, he threw the ball 50 times. Yeah. He only averaged like six yards an attempt. It's actually not that good. Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's things to work on, and I do think that, still the biggest question mark of this defense really is that like soft gap zone over the middle yeah. where they try to pick apart guys like Bobby and Jordan Brooks. I hope that with Jamal Adams coming back into the fold and hopefully letting guys like Reek Wollen and De- Devin Witherspoon play a little bit more in their thirds out. Cause like guys aren't beating us outside the numbers right now. No. You gotta you gotta scheme it up a little bit, and I think they will. They're like those guys are respon- Reek and Spoon are responsible for those outside thirds. Everything in the middle, that's where you have more attention. Yeah. You have the safeties pressing down on those. You're always gonna have Diggs who's kind of playing free high and hopefully helping on everything. But you can put a little more attention over the middle and try to cut those down. And honestly try to force guys to Test, reek, and spoon, and that's when interceptions will happen. I think it's a slow build towards that, and I'm hoping to transition into the next game that you'll see a little bit of that with Monday night game against the Giants, Danny Dimes, on a team that, honestly, again, doesn't have very good wide receivers. They don't really have that good of a quarterback. I would think that... And their star running back could still be hurt. Could still be hurt. Seahawks' run defenses look good, though. So, that if Saquon plays, you know, that's strength versus strength, right? Yeah. 
as it stands now, good run defense versus good run offense, and that includes Danny Dimes. He can yeah. run the ball too, but force force him to try to throw the ball to his receivers outside of the numbers. Try to make him test Spoon and Reek, assuming Reek is back. I don't I don't know. Yeah, but even if it is Trey Brown or Mike Jack, like try try to force them to throw it out there and then hopefully those guys prove I know Spoon is for sure but prove that those guys are playmakers and maybe maybe this defense starts to kind of form more in the way that I think we both thought that they would look yeah. going into the season yeah so with all that in mind Seahawks are playing Giants Monday night football Chance to go three and one for the Hawks after a horrible loss. Horrible air quotes. We kind of talked about this on the last podcast that you know after two weeks you maybe think that they're one and one. You kind of won the game that you weren't supposed to win and you lost the game that you weren't supposed to lose. Yeah, but but you got back to where you got back to where you would expect the team to be after three games. And you got a chance. You got a chance to play the Giants on the road, right? Yeah. On the road, Monday night football. Monday night football. Giants are favored by one and a half. Giants are favored by one and a half. Wow. That might be that might be a game that I gotta put some action on. So how about I give you some action on this one? I'll take the Seahawks straight up on that one if I'm a gambling man, which I am. I expect them to win that game. I'm thinking Monday night in the Meadowlands. I'm thinking, like I said, I really think the Seahawks should be a team that scores over 30 points most games this year. So I'm probably just going to go right back to basically a score prediction that I've had before is how about, or close to it, how about 34-27 Seahawks? And in my mind, that's the Giants scoring a late touchdown. It's like 34-20, kind of similar to the Panthers game where like, you, Seahawks score a touchdown late to push it to 34-20, put the game to bed, and then maybe the Giants come down and score a touchdown You know, late in the game, and then the Seahawks just run the clock out. Yeah. So I'll go, I'll go 34-27. Seahawks cover. That's probably the over, too. I don't know what the over is off the top of my head, but that's a pretty high-scoring game by NFL standards where you know, we're talking – over 60 points right so yeah so seahawks to cover and the over 34 27 that's my prediction what are you thinking um i'm gonna say i'm gonna say 31 26 seahawks is my so so close close to that yeah i think i think that uh although i'm gonna i'll throw a slight caveat in there is that if if uh barkley doesn't play I'll go 31-17 Seahawks, but oh, okay. I'll I'll uh, I'll take the Seahawks heavy on this one. And I would I also think you lay the lumber on the Hawks in this game. Primetime Seahawks usually bring it. <laughs> I think that's a that's, oh, that's long that's been long standing that the Seahawks usually bring it on a primetime game. Um, they also feel like have done well in the Meadowlands over their over their days. They just celebrated the uh, the Super Bowl team. Uh, this past weekend, um, and they they won their Super Bowl in the Meadowlands. So let's just keep keep the uh, momentum going there, 
and go uh, go take a dub against the Giants team that's uh, that's struggling a little bit right now to get their feet. Um, yeah, I like I like 31-26, though. Yeah, my one caveat to that is that the Giants seem like whenever they're shitty, they've given problems to the Seahawks. I think we dropped a couple games at Well, home. if Colt McCoy was playing quarterback, then I would say, yes, we we're in trouble. But That's a good point. But, but with Danny Dimes, I think... Uh, I think they're uh, they're going to be able to handle business against. Them. I saw one of the beat writers say that uh, both times the Seahawks have gone to the Super, or he said every year they've gone to the Super Bowl, which I guess is three years, they have beaten the Giants in that year. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, so, so here you go. It, keep it going. Here you go. Here, here's here's your chance, Hawks. Is that I don't really put that much. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't if, invest. You heard what Luke said. If the Seahawks win. They're going to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Later. I don't really put a lot of put the investment into that into that kind of statistic, but I do think that regardless of the opponent, getting to a three and one start would be really beneficial for the Seahawks, just like it would have been beneficial for my fantasy team. But there's no change <laughs> in the past. Seahawks Seahawks still have their future in front of them. So uh, yeah, I think if I'm a gambling man, go lay the lumber on the Seahawks. For this Monday night game, I think it's going to be a good game for the Hawks. They got it clicking on both ends, as we just said. Enough on the Seahawks. I think it's time to shift gears to college football. Pretty big weekend for college football. A lot of big ranked matchups. And finally, a nice, fun weekend of college football that uh, had had some real, real... I mean, you getting in. You got into uh, conference play this week. Like, finally got a good, a good, like, good matchup weekend that had was loaded. Right. We had the tailgate popping. We had the TV going. We had the quad box, courtesy of YouTube TV, which is actually pretty sick. More yeah. on that later. But couple, couple games that popped off to start. We had the battle of the pack two. We had the Cougars playing Oregon State. Cougars come out on top on that Your one. Your Pac-2 champions, yep. WSU Cougars. Really establishing their dominance before they go to the Mountain West. Pretty good game by the Cougars and, yeah. and the Beavers. Honestly, I think they both showed out and proved that they're good teams. I don't know. They said we were just kind of riff on, riffing on this for a second uh, off air, try to get our thoughts gathered, but... Didn't get to watch a lot of the second half of that game. Still got to go back and watch the game in 60 and see how it really unfolded. But definitely seemed like the Cougars, both teams came out ready to play, but the Cougars definitely came out ready and capitalized early. Yeah, they. Uh, it sounds like, I mean, Cam Ward is playing a lot better to start the year than he did last year, which is... You know, good to see for the Cougars. Not shocking. Yeah, not shocking. He's he's looking a lot like the guy that I think they thought he was going to be. Um, the other interesting thing that I heard was that uh, much like much like the uh, Huskies, they have three wide receivers that have over 300 yards of of uh, receiving already this year, and and I think over two touchdowns apiece or something like that was was their deal. So their their receiving core is off to a pretty pretty hot start. Um, sounded like they they. Uh, Kind of out schemed the uh, the Beavers a little bit earlier early in the game, from what I heard. Like, kind of had a they had an early touchdown play that they had drawn up and and got like a big touchdown play second play of the game. Um, and and overall, I think that Oregon State was able to run on them at, at will, however, whenever they wanted. But their passing game ultimately um, 
outplayed him with it. So I'm, I'm excited to watch that game just to see see what happened with it because it's always fun when the Cougs are Cougs are good so we can go take them down the Apple Cup and put a put a nice uh, notch on our resume for the end of the season to get into the college football playoff. So Cougs, keep it up, man. Let's go. Yeah. Huskies are on a roll, but we got Beavers on the road and we got the Cougars at home. Those are, those are both going to be challenging. Great. Yeah. Big challenging time games. games. Yeah. So, good to see them playing well. Good to see that the Mountain West will have some top some top end talent here in a year. Yeah, the King of the Rats will be will be elite. One of the more intriguing games going into this weekend as we talked about Oregon Colorado. <laughs> Ended up being an absolute boat race. Nigel basically tried to tell you last week on the podcast that that was what was going to happen. So credit to Nigel. I also be- believe Nigel, but I was hoping for a little bit more drama in the game. Didn't really pan out that way. There's not a lot to say about this game other than the fact that, you know, Ducks look like a team that are a top 10 team, much like the Huskies, and Colorado looks more like the team that I think most people thought. Yeah, I, I, I did say from the jump that depth is the issue on this team. You already lost Travis Hunter, but depth issues really show when you play against a team that is actually a top 10 caliber team. Yeah, It's just like when the Huskies play against Tulsa or... Any other of these smaller programs, you might be able to keep it close for the first half. They didn't. But maybe maybe you keep it close, but eventually the talent wins out, and like that is really what that game was about. My real question, though, or comment that I'll throw to Nigel on it, is that did you see all of the pregame stuff from like Dan Lanning? Because yeah. At the end of the day, I'll give the Ducks their flowers. I know they're a good team. That is going to be a huge matchup when the Huskies play them on October 14th in Husky Stadium. But I just thought it was completely rich and hilarious that Dan Lanning has this whole speech before that it's like, they're playing for flash, they're playing for clicks, and we're playing for wins. And goes on this whole rant when it's like, you're literally the Oregon Ducks. You roll out 80 different jersey combinations every year, and you're going to be like, Colorado plays for flash and for clicks. It's like, that is literally the basis of what you've done being the Nike school for the last, you know, 25 years. I thought that was really rich. It was great of them on their part to uh, follow up their performance. Thoughts on that? I... I couldn't agree more. I thought that was I thought that was pretty hilarious, and it's uh, kind of pot pot calling the kettle black there a little bit, because um, since Oregon's been the ones that are gil- the most guilty of that uh, of any team in college football over the last decade or so, they're the ones that are are playing for clicks and like that that flashiness. Um, I know Dan Lanning's trying to trying to uh, maybe bring a different. Uh, vibe to the team. He's SEC guy, whatever. I don't, whatever. I don't give a shit about any of that. At the end of the day, it's all, it's the same shit that I said last week with Colorado. And it's, it's all, and you, I think you said this too. It's, it's all the same shit that every single team is doing. Like you're, every coach is doing a pump up speech beforehand. And the ducks this week, much like 
Prime's been doing for multiple weeks now. Put a camera in there and let you see what they're what they're saying and what they're talking about. Yeah. Like we put you're not special Prime. Like I and I like Prime and I like what's what's been going on. I don't want to like dog on dog on Colorado. Like it's fun and it's exciting and it's getting more people talking about college football and that's awesome because it's great for the sport. But at the end of the day, it's all the same crap that all these guys are doing. They're all, and Oregon is, has been the best at it for years and years. Um, so, yeah, I w- I'm not, you know, I just think it's rich that Oregon's saying it for sure. Um, but they're all doing it for recruiting. Like, if you if you follow any of these schools, like the Huskies do the same stuff. If you, you, you see, like, you may not see, like, uh, DeBoer out there uh, doing his pregame speech necessarily, but they're still doing, like, the drone shot of the, of running into the stadium and like hashtag greatest setting. Like it's all for recruiting. That's the nature of, of college football these days is like, you gotta, you gotta kind of play to the kids that you're, that you're recruiting to. And so I'm, uh, you know, I'm not surprised by any of it. It's, I don't know. It's kind of ridiculous. So I completely agree. I, I do have two points on that though, is that, one is broadly speaking and one is related to the Huskies and Kalen DeBoer is that the first one is that, yeah, I think it's always interesting is that much like prime and Colorado is that it's like, it's just always funny when these coaches are like, like Dan Lanning is that I get it. You're trying to get, you know, 20 year old kids hype for it. You have to, it's like Michael Jordan. You have to create, this like chip on your shoulder yeah. that it's like you're favored by 21 and a half. Yeah. So I, I get it from his perspective is that it's like, I have to create some sort of chip on our shoulder here. Yeah. We can't go into the, I can't go into the pregame speech and be like, we're favored by 21 and a half. So take care of business. Like that's, that's not going to get people up and going. Right. So like, I get that aspect of it, but it is always kind of, funny when these things kind of where that no one believed in us is it dead landing <laughs> yes basically in my mind attacking his own program by yeah. being like they're out here for flash and clicks is like that is what oregon has been they've also been a successful program like yeah. and they win a lot of games so that shouldn't be taken away from or like you know you, you Oregon is still, a gritty school, okay? They're yeah, gritty and but, gutty. But it's just kind of it's kind of funny and yeah it seems like you're kind of lacking a little bit of inflection in that moment by calling out Colorado for this, who basically have just been trying to capture lightning in a bottle for, you know, the duration of Prime's time at Colorado. So it's it's kind of funny that you say that. On the flip side, where you're saying DeBoer, is that I think that that's where, in my mind, it's a little refreshing. And I'm hope and again made a lot of comparisons to DeBoer and Peterson is that I I haven't seen a lot of that type of stuff yet. And Peterson was pretty good about that is that he's not the type of guy Peterson wasn't and DeBoer doesn't seem like it either. That is like, nobody believed in us. So that's why we're going to do this. It all seems very much internal. It's yeah. very much more like DeBoer's like, it's a little more we believe in. that we're championship, we have championship medal, so we go out there and try to do it. There's nothing that somebody else can say outside of the program. Like, everything's internal, and I feel very fortunate and lucky because that is 
more of the like mindset that I want to have for the team that I root for. Yeah. Is that DeBoer very much seems like that same guy that it's like blue hey, collar lunch pail team that just goes out. That's kind of one just, way to put it. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of one way. And like, you know, the marketing team can do the flash and do whatever they want to try to like do this. They can yeah, put out, try promotional to zhuzh it up videos. a little bit. And yeah. They can put out promotional videos that say, you know, us against the world, whatever, like do all of that. But in house, like the way that you talk to your players is like, we're here to win a championship. I don't care what they're saying. Like yeah. we know what what our business is about. Yeah. And so they said, Dan Lanning, he seems like he's a good coach. I'm not trying to say that one approach is right and one is wrong, but I very much resonate with the way that DeBoer has handled his team. Yeah. That it's very much more on the one way to put it would be very blue call air quote blue collar, you know. Bring your lunch pail, as our podcast named after, that it's like, hey, we just got to show up and go to work. Yeah. I don't care about what other people are saying. We just go out there and play. Yeah. And so I did think there was some interesting mud flinging going on between Colorado and Oregon because Oregon is basically accusing Colorado of exactly what they have done forever. Yeah. And then they went out there and proved that they're the better ones at it. Yeah. So, like, credit to them, like... If you're gonna talk your shit, you better you back walk. It up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, you got to walk your walk if you're gonna talk your shit. And so they did that, and so credit to them. Interesting was there was another parallel to that was Ohio State Notre Dame, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into some of the nitty gritty. That was another game that we didn't really, you know, we got on the quad box. You see a little bit of it. It was kind of just a shitty game i guess yeah I, it, it's hard to neither, say neither yeah neither team looked particularly i mean bad. it was like three zero in the third quarter and yeah. so like you know we love good defense but this is college football like i don't care how good your defense is like you should at least score you gotta score so <laughs> ohio state someone zero, did three points had zero yeah. points yeah. yeah and if you only have three that's not enough the real the real controversy starts pregame is that Lou Holtz on College Game Day, who, for those of you who don't know Lou Holtz, uh, he's old as shit now and is basically unhinged. But he was Notre, he was the head coach at Notre Dame at one point and won a national championship. He also, which I didn't know this, I heard it this week, I think he was also an assistant at Ohio State at one point in his coaching career. But his but real claim he to is fame, a, yeah, he is a Notre Dame guy through and through. He's always been a Notre Dame apologist from day one. Like even when he wasn't the coach anymore, they'd like run him out there with videos on like on game day and all. Like he's he has been he's been Notre Dame apologist for exactly. Decades. He's Notre Dame. He's not Ohio State. Correct. So. Prior to the game, he's on game day, and he's basically throwing shade at Ohio State, saying, like, I don't have enough toughness, because yeah. that's how he talks. Sorry, Lou Holtz. <laughs> but <laughs> I got I to gotta dog you, because he kind of yeah. fucking sucks. <laughs> Even though Nigel, has, sidebar, didn't, you, I think you still have it, right? You have a Lou Holtz signed football. Right? Yeah, I believe I do somewhere. I think yes. your mother got that. Yeah, I have a Lou Holtz signed football. You spoke at a convention that my mother was at that got a football from him. Right. Uh, yeah, prize possession. But bef- at, 
at game day, he basically calls out Ohio State for saying that they don't have enough toughness. He also, I believe, his uh, part of his quote was, uh, Ohio State better bring their lunch sacks today. <laughs> I hadn't heard that. Yes. That's cool. Yeah. So, all right. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's, getting he's, shouting out the, he's shouting out the pod, basically. And I do think that the majority of what he's getting at is more directed at uh, Ryan Day, the coach of Ohio State, his recent record against Michigan. And that's what he's getting at is that, like, Michigan is more of a Big Ten style team that is very physical mm-hmm. and they run the ball. And Ohio State obviously spreads the ball out. And I think we've talked about this before a little bit. I think I mentioned it in regards to my f- friend from Spokane calling out the Huskies going to the Big Ten is like Ohio State has just been ahead of the curve and they play a lot more Pac Pac twelve style football. Yeah. Spread it out. They throw play it. West Coast style. They yeah. play West Coast style. And then they have lost recently to Michigan, who plays more traditional Big Ten football, which is line it up, run it straight ahead. Anyways, back on track. Lou Holtz calls out Ohio State for not being tough. And and then they go into that game, and they definitely struggle for most of the game. But at the end of the day, Ohio State ends up winning that game. The last two plays of the game, Notre Dame runs 10 men on the field. I think they gave up a third and 17. Yep, third and 17. To get them down down towards the goal line. Yep. And then... If you haven't seen it already, you got to find it on Twitter or wherever you get your football sources from. Is that they basically run the ball off of the left guard, left guard between the left guard and left tackle for a touchdown, where Notre Dame only has 10 men on the field. They don't have a single down lineman to the center's left. They have three down linemen, one's over the center, and then. Two or to the right of the quarterback, if you're looking from the quarterback's perspective. They only have 10 men on the field, and they're missing somebody there. And so Ohio State runs the ball up the middle, scores a game-winning touchdown, win the game, and Ryan Day goes off on the on-field post-game interview about how Lou Holtz didn't believe in us, and he said that we don't have toughness, and we definitely have toughness. So... Uh, there's not really a question in there. It's just, I don't know. Notre Dame, Notre Dame yeah. and Ohio State might be the two teams that I hate the most in college football. And I personally thought that that, without having watched the entire game, it really felt like a display of how overrated they both are. So there's not really a question here. But I just want to throw it to you for your thoughts on how that game played out. Lou Holtz, Ryan Dace, two of the most hateable guys in college football, in my personal personal opinion. Yeah, I... Pontificate uh, on that. Because <laughs> I think I've said a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you've, you've said most of it there. Uh, I'm obviously very, very much with you on my uh, distaste for, for both those people. Lou Holtz, just because he's a too much of a homer and like no for being a an analyst has no real perspective to give when it comes to anyone against notre dame like you can give 
give uh, hate to plenty like guy like Kirk Herbstreet or something for being an Ohio State homer. But at the end of the day, he usually gives some great perspective on both sides of the ball or both both teams. Lou Holtz has never been that, and so that's kind of like at the end of the day, I hate Notre Dame and add in the fact that he gives no gave no thoughts. So hate the guy, but I think it's I do like the. Uh, Notre Dame head coach right now, Freeman, I believe is his last name. Like, I don't know a whole lot about him, but I just like young, young African-American guy. Like it just seems like, seems like a, seems like a decent coach overall. Like pretty big for a Catholic university to have a black man as their head coach. Yeah, exactly. And so sign of, sign of, uh, times times are are changing. changing. Times are changing. Touchdown. They could use it. Touchdown. Jesus is looking, looking down and smiling at those 10 men on defense. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, Notre Dame, uh, has a giant, like, uh, not statue. Like, I guess it's a glass mural type of situation, like stained glass thing of, of, Jesus holding up touch uh, touchdown signal in the back of their end zone. So, uh, touchdown Jesus was looking down, smiling at those ten men, hoping that he was going to give them the power to stop Ohio State. And turns out it wasn't the case. Um, yeah, the, both those teams are overrated. And yeah, he's uh, supposed to be the twelfth man on the field. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, he was the eleventh man. He was not covering. He was not covering that left guard. Um, I haven't heard the uh, the rant so. I don't have much more to add to that. I've heard about it, but I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. Um, I also think it's funny that that Ryan Day would even like bother himself with with discussing it. I think that's really the moral of the the story. That's there. the real point. It, that's the real point to it. Is like just you know go out there and win the game and win with class. Like you're you're supposed to win. Like you're Ohio State. You're ranked top four in the country. Like. It doesn't matter who you're going against. And, like, everyone kind of knows that Notre Dame's always overrated. So, like, you're supposed to go out there and win the game. You, you did. You managed to do it. So why are you going and attacking an old man? Like, as much as I don't like yeah, the guy. Lou Holtz is, like, fucking <laughs> yeah. 84 as much as, as much as I don't like the guy either, like, I would like to think that if I went and won the game, I as a coach, as a head coach, I would just I'd draw the attention to my players um, and how the team overcame adversity and not draw the attention to the fact that an, a senile old man had something to say about the situation when he's the biggest homer as it stands anyway. So like, of course he took that. Of course he said things against your team. Like, so it, the whole thing seems really weird and it's kind of like, it's almost like a small man syndrome thing going on where it's like, Oh, they don't think I'm. They don't think I'm good, and I don't belong here. And None so of like, us in our in I this room to, would know what that's about. Yeah, as, exactly. I'm as a tall king. Yeah, yeah, tall kings over here. So it, that's just kind of how it feels to me overall. Is just like, get over it, dude. Like your team just won a big game. Like, and that's the only thing that's on your mind is that Lou Holtz was talking shit. Like, there's you're a head coach of a major football program, like one of the perennial powerhouses. Like, if Kalen DeBoer did that. I would be, I would be kind of appalled by it, honestly. And that's and, like, and that's a real point. Even even though I would love to hear the hate, like I at the end of the day, I think I'd be appalled by it because it's like, dude, of course, of course, Lou Holtz picked Notre Dame to win. Right. He well, is, it's like you know, it's like so. it, it's like if Desmond Howard 
was shitting on the Huskies. Like, of course he is. He's still bitter that the fucking Huskies dusted Michigan in 1991 and won the national championship. Exactly. It's like, I don't need to hear that from Kalen DeBoer. And that's where, like, trying to bring this, like, full circles, it's like, it's this whole thing is that, hey, I get it. Like, Tom Brady, you know, Tom Brady had that big video that was popular this week where he kind of talks about the same thing. And I get it. I've seen the last dance with Michael Jordan is that these guys need to like create these like chips on their shoulder, but not the head coach. That's for pl- exactly. Yes. That's for players. Yes. If, if Shador Sanders or Michael Penix jr. Need to create some sort of chip on their shoulder and they want to go talk shit to Lou Holtz or Desmond Howard or Kirk Herbstreet or whoever they feel is worthy of criticism in that moment, that's great. You're a 20-something-year-old college kid. You want to fucking go off and talk about it? That's great. The head coach of the team, yeah, I just don't understand that. Yeah, I have no time for that. You don't need to create... Maybe you need to create a chip on your shoulder for your team and you need to do it in some way. I just don't know. I just don't see how creating that chip it seems like it proves the facts that fact true that you don't have toughness. Like you're almost like admitting it at feel, that point. Right. It's like it's, it's like, like it's like in anything in life is that you overcompensate for the fact that you you believe that, so you have to be like, no, 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 definitely don't work so most, tough. You feel the most attacked when somebody says something that is true. Yeah. If you say something to somebody that is completely untrue, you just you can it shouldn't it bother you because it'd be like, yeah. I that doesn't bother me because like it doesn't have any bearing in reality. Whereas when you feel the need to clap back on it, it's because you feel like somebody is like kind of poking at something that you feel insecure about. Yeah. To, to bring it back to prime, it's like post game. Did you hear prime like calling out Dan Lanning or no. any, he, he, all he's and same with like the Colorado state business the, the week before after the game, he's like, I respect the guy. Like, he has no bearing on my life. I control my, like, I control what I can can control. Like, I'm here for my team. Like, you know, and it's like, that's... What he did say after Oregon, which I think is both true, but also a little (laughs) bit of deflection. He's like, get us now. This is the worst we're ever going to be. Get us now, and that's and that's a common, and that's and a like, fine response. Hey, that's how, yeah, exactly. exactly. Like, that's, that's supporting how you your, team. your team. Exactly, that's supporting your team. Like that's a positive response. And like, yeah, you're not pro- trying to bring them down. Yeah, exactly. You're not like he's not going out there and being like, oh yeah, we aren't about we aren't about being for clicks and blah blah. blah. Like he's not. He did attacking. say he did say I keep receipts. <laughs> well, and that's and that's fine. Like you can that's prime. <laughs> yeah, that's prime. Exactly. Like that's what you keep the receipts. Like next year you want to. Do that, like, or like that's because at the end of the day, like Oregon saying that is, it's that's the kind of shit that ends up on the lockers the next year when you when you're playing. I'm like, remember when Dan Lanning said that? You better not forget about it. Like, like Ohio State and Michigan well, are famous they won't for play this. each other next year. Yeah, I guess that's true. But like, regardless, it's yeah. it's I, it's your point remains the same. Yeah, it, it it can be on the locker rooms for this week even because like. Everyone thinks we're going to lose the USC too. Like we don't this play is, for clicks, we play for wins. Exactly. It's like what you know, like use it use it for your team. But it's like he didn't go out and attack Dan Lanning. He went and said like he said I keep receipts. That's fine. Like what the man says, fine. I keep receipts. That's great. Like 
I control me. I'm like, I'm not going to go out there and hate on people. That doesn't, that doesn't make anything better for anybody. So the, yeah, the fact that the fact that he, uh, that day went out there and said that, I think it's, I think it's some pussy shit personally. Like haven't so, heard exactly what it like, is, but sounds like a man that was attacked because he's lost to Michigan and they've underperformed in that. Like at the end of the day, Ryan Day's job. Yeah. If they go and look, play like that against Michigan, Michigan will dust their asses. And oh. so, <laughs> so at that's, the end of the so day, it probably should feel pointed. At the end of the day, if you're the head coach of Ohio State or you're the head coach of Michigan, your job and your job security is defined by your performance against the other team. Yeah. And he has not performed well. Lou Holtz pointed that out and attacked him, even in his senile age. And so he felt threatened. Yeah. And he felt the need that after a big win against Notre Dame to address that instead of prop up his own team. I don't know. Yeah. Seems pretty shitty. Fortunately, we don't have that problem with the Huskies, as as we've said, <laughs> is that Kalen DeBoer has been basically picture perfect through his short tenure with UW. And he added an, another win to his belt against the Cal Bears uh, this past Saturday in a dominant victory. What was I, honestly, I don't remember what the final score was because, uh, to be fair, it was a seven thirty kickoff. I had a handful of beers, probably more than a handful, <laughs> soda probably pops. two handfuls of beers. Fifty nine thirty two is fifty nine thirty two. Perfect. What I do know is is that uh, I placed a couple bets on that game based off of some of my projections uh, on the last podcast, but more so is that we were there all day tailgating, and I was a little worried about the conditions when we first showed up tailgating. Yeah. Right? It was pissing rain. It was windy. It was kind of miserable, but we don't care. We're seasoned veterans when it comes to tailgating. But at least as far as my bets were concerned... Uh, by the time we got into the stadium, it was actually pretty nice out. Yeah, everything so, calmed way down. the The clouds kind of broke a little bit. It did rain a, or sprinkled a little bit, but for a Seattleite, that's nothing. Y'all should know that by now. Yeah, it was no big deal. And uh, Penix has got big hands. He was able to handle that ball, no problem. It was so. I laid the lumber on the Huskies to cover the spread and take and the over. Um, I wasn't able to parlay them, so I lost out on a few bucks. But still got some wins under my belt, so we'll take that. So just remember the next time I throw out a... Oh, I guess I already threw out a bet for the Seahawks. Yeah. I'd trust me more for college football than pro, but, you know, buyer beware. So I think the uh, biggest the biggest thing to note in this game is that for the first time in I can't remember how long, we actually got to the game uh, 30 minutes early, basically. And, uh, that was awesome. Which I think was, we should do that more. Yeah. It helps when it's a 7.30 kickoff. You have plenty of time to tailgate. feels like things kind of sneak up on you a little bit when those with those early games. But, man, the dogs, what a start to that game. I mean, just could not have Picture been. Picture perfect. Could not have been a better start to the game. Uh, first drive, Edwan Olafoscio, pick six. Um, just, you know. 
as good of a as good of a start to it as you can imagine. I think as soon as the as soon as he crossed the the line on that, I hollered at you dogs by a million, which was which was couldn't have been more true for after that. You know, I want to I want to rope one point in before too is that you want to know what uh, Eddie Olfoscio did that I just said on the prior podcast when Penix threw a pick is that you want to know what he did. He got that ball and he started running towards the sideline and he saw the quarterback and he cut back towards the middle of the field. <laughs> yeah. Every defensive player should always do that. You're yeah. running down the sideline. Take line. on the quarterback. When you see the quarterback, I know it's hard to pick him up. Like, you know, I, hey, it's been many moons since I've worn a helmet and ran with a football in my hands. I get that. But you see the quarterback coming at you. You cut towards him. He doesn't want to tackle you. And that's what Eddie O did. Yeah. He sees the quarterback. He, he cuts back to towards him, it. walks in for a touchdown. Brilliant. I love it. That was that was such an awesome start. They had the new LED lights going in in the stadium. It like they got yeah. it flashing going. Yeah, on. Husky Stadium was rocking even pregame too. Like you kind of felt the felt the energy going. Like the, the light show was kind of cool. Like the intra entrances is always always cool. And then they got the purple smoke going and everything. Like, but I I think the LED lights added a, a nice little touch to it. It was kind of it was pretty fun. Like got got a little look great for a little. defensive touchdown. Yeah, That's exactly. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Then uh, what Huskies send them three and out on the next drive. Um, and because McMillan is hurt currently, you had Roma Dunze as your punt returner, and he proceeds to uh, take that house. And so you're it was like eighty three yards, yeah, eighty three like yards that. to the house. Go, you know, just looked looked like he belonged back. So there. that's so. There's a lot of things we could talk about with the Husky game, but at the end of the day, I feel like they're favored by a lot of points. They win. We can break down a couple like other aspects of the game, but my first point that I want to bring up about this Husky game, Roma Dunze goes house on the punt return, and he also had a big game receiving the ball. And I think I told you this in the stadium. This is the first kind of talking point about the Huskies. Michael Penix is now tied, I think, with Caleb Williams for odds-on favorite to win Heisman. I'm here to argue that Roma Dunze might actually be the better Heisman candidate for this team. And this was really the game that, in my mind, showed it. I know, Michael, like, it's a quarterback award. I get that. Devonta Smith won it a few years ago. Yeah. Different scenario though. Yeah, Bama he, didn't didn't, a, he didn't have a quarterback that was. Bama that was didn't have a quarterback that's throwing for 500 yards a game like Michael Penix, and is about to throw for 50 touchdowns. So I get it. Like it's not going to happen, right? Yeah. But I do think it's worth mentioning that Roma Dunze, I think, is honestly as good of a Heisman candidate as anybody else that is in the country. He proved it with that punt return. I'd love to see him get more action in that regard. Yeah. I mean, what is it? The Bednark is the is the wide receiver award? I think so. Is that right? I would think that he's got to be got to be the favorite at this point. Well, we didn't even talk about this with the Ohio State game is that Marvin Harrison Jr. got hurt in that game. Oh, did he? I didn't so that realize that. That is unfortunate a- for him. 
but that it would, does help a dunes it would probably put a dunes in the driver's seat it'd be really cool if uh i mean if a dunes can continue to do continue to do what he's doing now um and maybe you throw in another special teams play like that um in there where he, if he has two punt returns for a touchdown and then continues to put up the kind of numbers to have a seat at the Heisman table and get both. I don't him, think it's that far. Get both him and Penix in New York at the same time in December. That would be pretty special and uh, a really cool. Good thing for to the Huskies. For yeah, Good for DeBoer's for recruiting. But and and I think that's the uh, that's a, another real promising thing just in general, like recruiting wise, is that right now if you're a receiver or quarterback and you're in high school, like. Why would you not? Why would you not want to go? Because they're giving you the opportunities. Like your best guys are out there on punt return, on kick return, like and and you're getting yards too. Like the the offense is special. So why would you not want to come play for the Huskies if you're, especially if you're on the West Coast? But anywhere. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely a good point. I do think though, if I want to narrow down on Adunze's performance, though, is that. He had a, he had that touchdown catch. I got I've I've only rewatched the game once, and it was when it was again. Nigel and I are fucking psychopaths, so we <laughs> this game kicked off at seven thirty. We drank the entire day, watched the game, and then came home, and then we started watching the replay when we got home. So my memory is a little fuzzy, but he had that touchdown catch that personally. I think is one of the greatest catches I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, that, where he goes with swivel hips. Yes, on, on it. Yes, yeah. we we live in a day and age in football where I don't want to minimize the athletic ability of other people, but like you think like Odell Beckham Jr.'s catch where like he sticks it one handed. These guys wear really nice gloves. And one-handed catches have become more like prevalent, and they are very nice. I still think that one of the hardest catches that you can make in in sorry, I was about to say college football. I mean football in general is the type of catch that Adunze makes in this game, where he's basically running, facing the inside of the field, right. So his back's to the sidelines. His, his back is to the sidelines. He's facing. He's running on the left side of the formation. And his head is to the right looking in. And Penix basically puts it towards the pylon of the end zone. And he has to completely, at the last second, like flip his hips, take his eyes off the football, flip around, and then catch the ball. Like, with a man draped on him, too. It's like... That is, in my mind, a much more impressive, harder catch than a one-handed grab. Like, plenty of guys are athletic and go up and spear a ball one-handed. It is impressive. Like, I'm not trying to yeah. And Odell Beckham, to, to give him some credit on that, he also kind of swivels the hips around and like oh, opens oh, up yeah, the other yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But I agree. That, that is, is like, one of the craziest catches, well, though, a guy can make. That is so much harder. Like, raw athleticism like that, like... You see guys like Devin Culp, who we love and love to hate on, is it like there are plenty of guys that are great athletes that can go up and spear a ball one-handed in the moment. 
the ability to flip your hips, take your eyes off the ball, and then catch it the other way is like that's one of those that's like Penix gets a forty yard touchdown for. That is completely a Dunze. Yeah. No like the one percent of the one percent of wide receivers can make that play, and that's why a Dunze is going to be a premier pick in yeah. the NFL draft. He he'll might or probably will go ahead of Penix, depending on how the draft shakes out, because that is the type of play that like most players cannot do. Yeah. And he made it look easy. Yeah. It's one of those we talked about it before a lot with like soccer players, I feel like, that you have that like like a defenders are very good at like understanding where the ball is going to be the second it's kicked. Or like an outfielder, like you the ball is hit and you like you know the place. Like the ball is hundreds of you know 300 feet away from you, and when it's off the bat, you're able to read and be like, this is where the ball's going to be. And, like, you make adjustments to that as you go along. But, like, and those people that can make those last-second adjustments are always the ones that are, like, elite. Yeah. And, in, and in football, that's, like, it's incredibly hard because it's much more physical. You have guys pulling on you and, like, hitting you along the way. And so, yeah, I agree. That was one of the more skilled catches that you'll see. And it you're, it's not going to show up probably on, on uh, like Sports Center top ten necessarily, even though it should. But because it's, not, I hope it did. I, yeah, I, I don't yeah, know. We yeah, didn't no watch that night, yeah. But, but it's like it's not the. I guess it's not the flashiest of catches, but it's like it, the difficulty level is still off the charts. It's for so like track it and then be able to like make a last second adjustment. Scouts, on it on scouts that. see that. I think scouts see that play and they say. This is a guy that is different. Yeah, and he's and he shows that all the time. I mean, it's a like I said, it's more of a testament to what he does over his body of work because he's constantly open. Yeah, he constantly makes the catch. He runs with the ball after the catch, and you saw that especially in the punt return. But even in his normal catches, is that it just kind of speaks to the ability that he has overall. Is like. This guy is crazy good. Yeah. And Penix is also crazy good, but I think he Penix benefits a lot more from his ability to make these types of plays look very pedestrian. Yeah. When In much reality, like it's much very like difficult. Yeah. Much like Ohio State quarterbacks have lived off for a long time that it's like these guys these guys do things for you that are not normal. Yeah. Penix is also super talented. And he gives guys chances to make plays. Yeah. Adunze, I feel like this was really a game where he showed that it's like, I can kind of just do anything. Yeah, whatever I want. Yeah. Still need a guy that can flip him the ball. Yeah. We talked about this in the stadium too a little bit. It's like, I'll be curious to see because he is a track athlete and he was a hundred meter champion or whatever as well. And so it's going to be really interesting to see like when he, like I don't want to go too far ahead again because like the season's still going on. But it's going to be very interesting to see like how he. I assume he's going to know how to run properly and like run in like a track style setting for the forty. And so him him going out there if he can go run a four like a high four three or something like that or or even a you know four four low, low four four number like. I think he's going to be a really high pick in the draft because he's. I think he's the number two receiver off the board behind yeah, Marvin Harrison, Marvin which, Harrison which, which should put him top ten, depending yeah. on how the 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks that. in the draft, so yeah, it's gonna be it's definitely gonna be interesting. But yeah, he had he had a hell of a game, um, no doubt. We could we could wax poetic forever about Adunze and Penix, but again, back to back weeks, I feel like they showed it again. The run game, the interior run game, looked a lot better. Yep, and we had kind of praised Cal's defense going into it. I don't know how Cal's defense will look by the end of the year on the grand scheme of things, but I still trust that they're a better caliber defense than what you're going to face the majority of the season. Yeah. And they look good. Dylan Johnson looks really good. Yeah. Yeah. And your, your D line looked good. Like your run stopping looked good in that game. Um, Ought. It, part of this is because the Huskies had jumped out to such an early lead. It's like you put Cal in the position that they definitely didn't want to be in, which was we have to pass to get back into this game. Yeah. It's like that's the last thing that Cal wants to do. They want to slow it down and run it on you all game, and you force their hand by getting I mean, a defense. didn't touch teams. the ball until there was five minutes left in the first quarter. Yeah, and then still managed to have 300 yards by halfway through the third quarter. So it – you know they they continue to do their thing and they put themselves in the cherry situation for sure, but when they did run the ball, defense look D line looked good, defense tackled. Dom Hampton got a pick in that game also. Yeah. Um, which Dom, Ham- Dom Hampton, yeah, Dom I think Hampton is a guy a that we should. Game. I think yeah. Dom Hampton is a guy that we should touch on for a second. We're kind of bouncing around. Dom Hampton, I think, is a guy that we off off the podcast give him flowers all the time. And we've talked about how, I think we've talked about on the podcast in the past, that he's one of those guys that we're always looking to see him pop off the page. And he kind of hasn't. And some of that, I think, is a testament that he's doing a good job because guys don't target him. Yeah. he's. I think he's moved back to that strong safety spot. And he's also starting to look like the guy that I always thought he would be, which is a legitimate NFL talent with his size, with his hitting ability, with his coverage ability. He is making plays constantly yeah. for this team. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's looked fantastic, especially the last couple of weeks. He helps out everywhere. He's he's hitting guys in the run game. He's he's making plays in coverage. He's getting picks. He just seems to be kind of all over the field right now, which is exactly what the Huskies need. I think the problem is that they put him in that husky spot which is basically like a big nickel to try to put him closer to the line basically as like a hybrid linebacker safety corner type of spot which his six two six three two hundred and twenty five pound frame would say that he's a perfect mold for that but he kind of just got eliminated from the game I feel like a lot last year yeah. That now he's just playing like a true strong safety spot where he's further away from yeah. the he ball. He can come down on it. And, and he can come down the field and play downhill constantly. Yeah. And he has coverage skills, and he showed that in this game by getting his first pick in a long uh, – that might be his first career pick. I think I'm he's – I, I remember seeing one since we saw him do it in the spring game Yeah, years ago, two, three years ago, whatever. It's definitely um, his first interception in a long time on the field – if ever, yeah. but he is playing more downhill. He's lighting people up. 
Yeah. He looks like the player that Marquise Blair was supposed to be for the Seahawks. Yeah. Which also in turn is supposed to be like your Cam Chancellor type of player. Yeah. They're like, this guy is just a absolute enforcer. But, oh, by the way, he's also like a pretty good coverage player. Yeah. Like, he can do that too. He's not just a one-trick pony. And he's, I feel like he's, he's in a new, he's back to where his role should be. Further away from the ball, playing downhill, and I I don't know. I think the sky's the limit for that guy. Yeah. He's got all the physical traits, and you're starting to see it pop off. Really excited about what Dom Hampton is going to do for the rest of this season. Yeah, He I mean, really is that guy that I think makes this defense actually really good Yeah, when he's playing at the level that I think he's currently playing at. Yeah, and it... Every uh, good defense needs an enforcer on it. And I, I mean, I think he's that, easily the biggest hitter on the team. Exactly. Like looking looking ahead, I'm looking a little past uh, Arizona here for a second, just to uh, for a reminder. Like reminds me a little bit like maybe of Azeem Victor from years past, where it's like let's go against Oregon and have Dom Hampton go dump someone on the first play yeah. of the game and like put them on put them on their behind and like. Be the enforcer type. That's really that's really the thing that I think this Husky defense has been better about this year, but will be interesting to see when they play against the top talent. Is that yes, exactly that. Is that you're playing more sound, you have talent at a lot of positions, but what separates any defense, right? We're all most of the people that listen to this podcast, we're all Seahawks fans. We know we know about it. You need to have guys that just hit people that put the fucking fear into the offense that they don't want. They don't want want to to run plays. Yeah, exactly. And Dom Hampton, I honestly think is that guy, and he's got to he's got to do it. It's like, like you said, you play Oregon. Guy runs across the middle. They're pretty stringent on like personal fouls and stuff these days. You know, it's a little bit different game than it was you know, 10 years ago, but go plant somebody yeah, and let them know. And then you got to let them know afterwards. And I know Dom Hampton can handle that part of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he has that part on lock. Yeah. Uh, one more, actually I actually have two more guys I want to highlight real quick too, but one in particular, uh, I thought that uh, Tuli Latuli Gasanoa had his yeah. best game as a Husky and he's had numerous good games, but interior D lineman, he was just he was just everywhere in that game too, living in the backfield. Like the entire D line yeah, looks he, really good. All say, of a I think sudden. he made two tackles for a loss in the first two drives. Like, and he didn't stop there. I don't know what his final line was. I didn't, didn't look, but he had, he had an incredible game and he's really like, he's looking like the guy that I kind of was, you know, a few years ago was hoping he would be. And maybe it's a little early on, early on in his career to be hoping that, but it's like now I think he's a senior, probably multiple red shirts. Yeah, maybe he's, he's a junior. A six year guy. Yeah. But he's really looking, looking the part. And then uh, two for one here, both the DNs, uh, ZTF and, and Braylon Trice continue to look yeah. like a problem, which is awesome. No. Him. Yeah. The, the, the D line all of a sudden, we kind of talked about this, I think, on the last podcast that there's a lot of experience there, 
but there's a lot of experience of them being kind of middling at best. Yeah. I trust their ability because they are they're big time recruits and they've played for a long time. But you just haven't really seen them pop. Like ZTF has popped off the page, obviously. Yeah. And so is Braylon Trice. So I'm not talking about those guys. But some of the more interior guys like Latuli, Latuli, Gasanoa. Yeah. But now you're kind of seeing. And I got to think that some of this is that new coaching staff last year. They kind of come in. They probably buy in. You know, because it seemed like everybody bought in. Yeah. But you're still trying to figure out. How you want things? How you you want things to go? Yeah. And now you're really seeing like the fruits of all of it is that the defense honestly looks amazing. Yeah. There's still there's still some pockets and there's been a ton of injuries. Yeah. But you're seeing you're seeing depth on this team. You're seeing execution at all levels. Yeah, and and that's that's really I think one of the nice things since you talked about that earlier with Colorado. It's like. The twos make plays, and the ones make plays. Like lots of, there's plenty of plenty of room to make plays on this team. Like everybody's everybody's eating right now, and like you still haven't faced an a, you know super elite team, but like that's a that's always just a good sign in general. When it's like when Carson Bruner steps in, you you have no no worries that he's gonna be a serious issue on, on the field, you know, like any, any of those, those guys. So it's, uh, it's looked really good so far. I guess put it that way. Yeah. One, one last thing I want to mention on the Huskies and we can do a quick forecast for the Arizona game. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that I do think that this Husky offensive line, it's seen some injuries Dare I say, I think it's getting better now that yeah. Parker Parker Brailsford, redshirt freshman that started the year at right guard, has now moved to center because Mateo Mele got oh, hurt geez. at center. And I love Mateo Mele. And like, this is no indictment on him. Yeah, he was player of the week the first two, two weeks for the offense. <laughs> yeah, he's a good player, but I think Based off of what I've seen from Parker Brailsford at center, the guy is an absolute monster. I don't yeah. know if you saw that clip. I, I sent it to you on Twitter. Yeah. Where he literally, he's got like a nose tackle right over the top of him and he snaps the ball and he literally just like one hand shit. Punches him back. One yeah. hand shit cans the dude. Yeah. And then on top of that is that you got the Hatchet brothers that have, I think it's mostly Gearian. Hatchet, who's the older of the two brothers, but you got the Hatchet brothers that are kind of like taking taking some reps at right guard. Two kids out of Ferndale, one's you know they're different classes. One's yeah, older. Landon's, but, a, Landon's a true freshman. Yeah, Garen's and probably Garyan's a redshirt sophomore yeah. or something like that. But we had Julius Buello, or he has the size. He's like six eight, six eight, like three fifty. And so you'd think that like he's good, but I just don't think he's as mobile where you have like Geary and Hatchet, who's more like 6'2", like 300 pounds. And now I think you're starting to see this run game really pop yeah. because of the fact that like these guys are a little, they're still big. They're still 300 pounds. <laughs> they're still big offensive linemen. I even saw like they get Nate Kalepo 
uh, left guard out of Rainier Beach, who's also huge. You know, he's like 6'5", 330. Yeah. And they got him pulling on runs right behind Geary and Hatchet. And I think you're starting to see this run game get better because offensive line is starting to actually materialize a little bit. And you have kind of guys that have different strengths in there. And you're getting these younger guys in there that really fit the mold of how we want. Because we are a spread spread offense that passes most of the time. So you don't just need like big hosses up front. Like you need guys that have a little bit of movement and can get a little bit more of that zone blocking in. Yeah. And I think I think it's starting to mesh a little bit and Yeah. I so agree. I thought that was really positive to see. And like I said, you're getting the younger hatchet brother in there. I think he's gonna be a star yeah. too moving forward. So a lot to be excited about up front. Shifting attention now to Husky's upcoming game at Arizona. Dogs are always in trouble in the desert. That's probably the easiest way to put it. <laughs> They come yeah. in as I think seventeen and a half point favorites was the last I saw. Desert after dark. <laughs> Desert after dark. Like it's another one of those that I really think it's really good to show. What... Eighteen is what I've got right okay. now, but yeah, seventeen and a half, eighteen, whatever. Really shows. I think it's going to show a lot about what Kalen DeBoer is about because again, this will be this will be a real like measuring stick for how good the Huskies are. They go into a bye week after this game, and then they play the Ducks. I really think that this performance will tell me a lot about what DeBoer and this Husky team is. Because, like, prevailing perception, or fact, I guess, it's not even perception, it's fact, is that, like you said, dogs after dark, in the desert, never good. Yeah. DeBoer... Whether it's it's in the after dark or not, like... Last year you you lost you lost a game at Arizona State in the desert at yeah. Tempe, like now you got now you got Arizona after dark like always like just perennial funky things happen like team plays a little off. I'll know that DeBoer has this team completely ready to be championship contenders. If you go cover and if they go, go out dominate. and just butt fuck, yeah, Arizona. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I, I'm not going to say that they're not championship contenders if they struggle in this game because, like, that is kind of the mo of the Huskies in the desert. It's tough for them. It always has been. So, you know, they struggled against Arizona when they went to the college football playoff. Yeah, you know, they yeah won they in, barely squeaked. They won in overtime. Yeah, they barely squeaked by that game. I'm not going to say that it's like you're dead in the water if you struggle against Arizona. But I think it would tell me a lot about what this program has going on if they go out there and just completely dominate like they've done in every game. It's supposed to be 84 degrees at kickoff. That should be great. Yeah. But interesting matchup. You know, they got Jane Delora, former quarterback for the Cougars. Another uh, absolute fucking dirtbag of a human. (laughs) Yes. So, um, yeah, that's a... Hopefully, Trice and ZTF and all of those folks go ahead and uh, give him give him the hits he deserves. <laughs> yeah, seriously, that guy's an absolute piece of shit. Not only not only is he an absolute piece of shit because he and another uh, one of his uh, friends 
did some highly, I, I don't know if I want to even say this on the podcast because it's so vulgar and fucking awful. Sexually but, assaulted. Yeah. Sexually assaulted. Sexually people. assaulted a, a female um, violently. <laughs> uh, yeah, horrible fucking human. Shouldn't even be playing football realistically. But um, on top of that, on top of that, that he's a dirtbag fucking human. He also like really kind of fucked the Cougars over too, which like fuck the Cougars in general. But like just how like just goes to show what a piece of shit he is. Like what he went and he went and uh, allegedly at least went and met with Arizona like while he was still on the team like during the season before their when they game. went and played at like the Santa Fe Bowl or whatever yeah exactly like, he went down and, in New Mexico he went and like took money from Arizona and then like or went and met with Arizona and then immediately after announces an NI, a major NIL deal with them he also and, quit on the Cougars and halfway quit, through the yeah and quit half, halfway, halfway through, through the, the game. bowl game yeah halfway through the bowl game oh, this guy it's sucks like, the guy Husky, should, Husky should go and shit. absolutely is it that and all that honestly is peanuts to the first part of that is it like the yeah. guy is just a piece of shit yeah. And he shouldn't be playing quarterback in college football. Oh, and he planted the the uh, WSU flag. That he's the last person to uh, beat yeah. the Huskies uh, in the Apple Cup. So and planted the WSU flag at the fifty yard line. Again, so I think all, there's a special. That's all, that's all peanuts. Yeah, yeah, all peanuts compared to compared to what he's what he's done outside of football. And they I should. hope that ZTF plants his ass in the ground and fucking. Uh, Fucking makes him hurt because yeah. he's an absolute piece of trash. They should hurt him. They should make Arizona hurt. A team sucks. <laughs> yeah. Usually, I don't condone anyone getting hurt in a game, but fuck Jaden Delora. He's an absolute piece of shit. And so, and fuck Arizona for, for sweeping it under the rug. Yeah. They're they're trash. He's fucking they, trash. Yeah, exactly. Don't, they knew. They knew yeah, about. They it. knew about. They knew about it and still signed him to a big nil deal. And that was like and then they part didn't of the whole even thing. Suspend him. Yeah, didn't suspend him. Basically pretended like nothing happened. So fuck Arizona. Fuck Jane Delora. Dogs by. Actually, I'm gonna. I'll be conservative since that's been working for us. But dogs by a million. Fuck that guy. Um, and fuck the that team. That's that's what I gotta say about that. Yeah, I don't want to see a dirty hit happen, but I would love to see yeah. somebody on a this clean hus- plant that I'd breaks love to a see rib, multiple maybe. times somebody on the Husky defense just absolutely light him up. Yeah, because he deserves it. Not even for planting the flag or any of that. Guy's just a dog shit human, and honestly, Arizona's a dog shit university for allowing him to come in and not even full well knowing that. The, the the predator that he is the predator that he is so you know they don't deserve anything i really think that this will be the year that the huskies really curb the the perception that they struggle in the desert i'll go huskies how about how about 58 28 with a lot of garbage time points by Arizona. 58-28. Huh? 58-28. I think that's a good number for me. Okay. Um yeah, I'll go I'll go 52 to uh, we'll go 35. I'll add a touchdown on top of that and which means the dogs wouldn't cover. Yeah, it'd be by short. a point. So, but I'll go I'll go 52-35 final score with some garbage time touchdowns from them dogs will be in control the whole game they may score uh they score in the fourth quarter 
with uh, less than ten minutes left twice. How about that? To uh, bring him back within within. Uh, well, as the only person to place a couple winning bets recently, I'd say lay the lumber on my picks. But yeah, there if you, you believe go. Nigel, then I'm just gonna know. try to be conservative since that's been working for. I don't want to mess with the juju because <laughs> <laughs> I've been. Uh, I've been picking conservatively, and the Huskies have, have still won, so I'm going to keep that juju alive, but dogs by a fucking million. Let's go. Yeah, smart smart money's on Arizona to cover because the dogs are never good in the desert, but yeah, if you believe in this dogs team, you'll, uh, you'll take them by a million just like I am. Let's go. All right, last but certainly not least, we got to talk about the Mariners. We've kind of been reluctant to riff on them you know, extensively the last few weeks. A lot of that is because they've, you know, kind of been in a little bit of a downward spiral. We also haven't had Tanner here, and part of me feels like, you know, when I when I talk Mariners baseball, like, I want Tanner to be a part of it. So it's been a little bit of a struggle lately, especially because they're not playing well. We kind of left off our Mariners talk basically saying that Similar to how I'm saying now, they're in a little bit of a downward spiral, but the at the end of the day, they can control their own destiny by going out and you play, you played the Rangers, and then you get the Astros, and then you get the Rangers again. Well, they went ahead and got swept by the Rangers, and now as it stands today, they, as we record, they lost game one against the Astros. They won game two against the Strohs, and they're going to play on Wednesday for the rubber match. Uh, We're recording before that game, so obviously we don't know how that game will go. But at the end of the day, it really feels like, again, as you said before, they control their own destiny. They kind of just need to win out to uh, secure their spot. There's probably a million scenarios where... This team can win or lose here, and the Mariners can win or lose this way, and they'll still get in. But realistically, they just need to go out and win the rest of their game. So how are you feeling about the Mariners' chances right now, Nigel? Um, Got to be honest, I'm feeling a little bleak about it. Um, winning all your games in baseball is obviously very tough. Fortunately for the Mariners, you are at home, so you're going to have – full full stadium people packed you know packed in rocking like there's no worries there that it's not going to be a good atmosphere the other thing that i'm worried about is just that the rangers have kind of had our number this year and so um and they they showed that in their home there's their end of the home home matchup for them we were on the road and so i mean it's all on the line here and i think that uh for one you have to win this game against the Astros coming up, which will be done by the time you guys are probably hearing this podcast, unless you're listening tomorrow night and we get it out that quick. That's a must win, obviously. Um, and then I think you probably need to win three out of four minimum for a chance at the wild card after that. So yeah. you'd need to win, you need to win five of your last six or yeah, five of your last six games to uh or four of your last five if, if for where where we stand right now but five of your last six for for the mariners sake in order to have a chance at the wild card no they only have five games left right yeah but i'm saying including the win oh. that they had tonight oh yeah, yeah i'm yeah, saying yeah. including the win they had tonight it's gotcha. five of the last gotcha. six um 
poor listening on my part. Yeah. Maybe I probably didn't explain that well either. But so uh, yeah, it's uh but this team it, we we kind of joked about it before too. I think I think that was on the last or one of the last pods that we talked about the Mariners is that if anyone can do it, it's this team. It's like as soon as you kind of count them out, then that's when they go and go and have a, a nice winning streak and go, you, you know. Yeah, for they, all of our talk about, they lose four games to the Royals and then they'll go and sweep the Rays, you know, or so, you know something like all that. All of our talk about college coaches wanting a chip on their shoulders that I feel like the Mariners weirdly embody that as well as anybody. That yeah. it's like they kind of need that chip on their shoulder. That it's like. You're not going to be in the playoffs unless you win all of these games and be like, great, now's our time to perform. Oh, you don't think we can do it? We will then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I still have a lot of faith in that regard. I do think that, honestly, is it like... They've just made the path so difficult. They've made the path so difficult, but I really want to be a positive Mariners fan, and I have been all season. We've said this basically the entire time is that the Mariners are the last team that you want to see in the playoffs. Yeah. And I think that's so your playoffs, your playoffs started yesterday. Playoffs started on Monday and you lost game one to the Astros, but you bounced back with George Kirby on the mound and you won game two. So basically now you need to go win the, you need to go win the rest. Like this is your playoffs right now. Yeah. So if you are actually the good playoff team that I think we all think the Mariners can be, then you need to go sweep. Go go beat the Astros on Wednesday. Like you said before, it'll be you'll be hearing this after this game happens most likely. But then you need to go in to this series against Texas, even if you lose the game against the Astros on Wednesday. Please don't. But even if yeah. even if please, you do, please go sweep go sweep the Rangers, and there is a million scenarios that can play out that say whether or not you're in the playoffs. But if you go sweep the Rangers, you're probably in. I don't know all the math behind it, but you're probably in. You need to be this playoff team right now. Yeah, if you sweep the Rangers and you win tomorrow, you're definitely in. Well, I I was saying if they lose tomorrow. to the end. Oh, if they lose tomorrow, then yeah. go sweep the Rangers, and you're still probably okay. in. Yeah, they. So as it stands, they're they're a half game back on the Astros. So if you beat them tomorrow, you go up a half game on them, just, which is just, the last, to, which is the last wild card spot. I don't, I don't give, I don't really care about any of that. You, I think the Mariners just need to prove that they are, because part of this is that we've talked about before is that you've put yourself in a position now. That it's like you're just fighting your fucking R. Kelly. You're fighting for your fucking life. Yeah. To just get in the playoffs. But ultimately, that's not what I want from this team. I want them to be a World Series contender because I honestly think that they can be because they have the pitching. Go win the rest of your games. Go yeah. win all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell these because there's a good chance that you win the rest of your games and you make the playoffs. There's a decent chance that the Rangers and the Astros will also be in there, depending on how Toronto plays. So you're probably going to have to face one of them again. Go prove right now that you're the better team than them and get in the playoffs. And then go prove once you play them in the playoffs 
that you are the World Series contender. I I heard an interesting thing today in kind of talking about what you just said, like no one wants to play the Mariners. Um, and I'm curious if they'll kind of go into this mode now, um, now that there's five games left in the season, is that you have your three starting pitchers and then you basically have the combination of Wu and Bryce Miller that you just you pitch them interchangeably in a game and basically move to a five-man rotation where you have your three star- your starters in Gilbert, Kirby, and Castillo, and then you have Wu and Bryce Miller face nine batters. <laughs> and, yeah. Or, sorry. Wu, they, sorry, they face, they face uh, 18 batters, basically. They go through the lineup twice. Yeah. Basically. And, it, and then, like... And then if, if if during that point you get to get to the bullpen or a point where you need to go to the bullpen, you do that. But it's like the idea becomes basically you, you go to a four-man rotation. With or a three-man rotation. Three-man rotation, but with Wu and, Wu and Bryce oh. as your fourth pitcher yeah, yeah, yeah. as like an interchangeable, like as soon as one of them, basically their cap is two times through the lineup and – if anything goes wrong, the other one just comes into the game right then, and then yeah, I think I think you're at that point that yeah, and that's what I said. This is playoff baseball. Yeah, exactly. Like at this you're, point, you need to start implementing your playoff strategy now. Yeah, and I and so I'm curious if they'll actually do that or if they're just going to go more traditional. Like Logan starts tomorrow's game. I I believe is that right? I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess I don't know either, but I would assume so since you've had Kirby go tonight and Castillo went the night before. So I assume it's Logan's time up. Um, so, yeah, I'll be curious to see if they, they implement that rotation style now and, like, basically your playoff rotation right now. Because I you have four games left. To. Yeah, because you have four games left, like, guess what? You're You're going on short rest, like – Castillo, you're gonna to have to pitch on four days rest, like tough break. Yeah, and uh, so I think, I think all hands on deck. Like you have to do whatever, whatever you can. Yeah, it'd be great if they could come out uh, again. You know, this is all gonna be post fact by the time any of you listen to this, but it'd be great if they can come out against the Strohs and just you know hang seven or eight against them early in the game. Yeah, and kind and, of coast through, and, and kind of coast through, and save some arms. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Now's not the time to worry about your arms anymore, though. It's postseason baseball. Like we gotta, you gotta do whatever. Yeah, I'm whatever just saying you, you don't want to. You don't want to waste a, the pain. in a perfect yeah. world. You don't want to be yeah. burning a bunch of arms. Yeah. Yeah, on you don't Wednesday. want to go into like a 13 inning, uh, extra inning game to win that and have that to use the, every. That pitcher. would be the real yeah. hole in the sail. That would yeah. that would sink this ship. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it'd be nice to the offense needs to show up tomorrow and uh, and go take care of business. That's that's the the real deal. I don't know what else there is really to say about it. It's just like you just have you have no other choice but to win. You have to you have to win <laughs> to get in. It's all on you. Everything's in front of you. Like you just got to go take it. It's you're a couple games back from from everybody. Like. Just go win. Don't don't leave it. Don't leave it up to other teams making the decision for you by counting on them to lose games when you lose or anything like that. If you go win every game, 
then you don't have to worry about any of that and you'll be in. Yeah, baseball baseball's an interesting sport that I still grapple with sometimes because it's such a long season. You know, it's 162 games. So I think a lot of people kind of look at that and say, oh, well, don't drop games here or there. But at the end of the day, it's like you're kind of in this very more similar in my mind to an NFL an NFL season where it's just kind of like you got four you got oh well, I guess right now as we record you got five games less left in the season go win yeah like you you know the you have the parameters set in front of you you know what is needed to get where you want to go which is the playoffs and then that's a whole other thing yeah like just be better than your opponent now everything else we can we could do an entire podcast about where the mariners drop games here or there none of that really matters you're in a position right now in a dead heat race with two other teams in your division you're playing one of them right now and you play the other one in your next series yeah everything the ball is in your court go win yeah. Go prove that you're the better team and you will get what you want. Yeah. So there really is no excuses. We can, like I said, we can make a whole podcast about how they should have signed this person. They should have done that. This guy is not performing. None of that personally in my mind matters at this point. Yeah. And I don't think it here. matters in any of their minds either. Exactly. It's just, you this is where you should have the chip on your shoulder. Yeah. It, like, it, like that type of podcast in my mind, it just speaks as like, these guys should have that chip on their shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think the biggest thing is that it's going to take, it's going to take somebody stepping up and making a play in the big moment. Like you're going to need Julio. Like you need your big players to make the big plays. They proved that they can do that all through August. And part of that was, they just were exploding on offense. But like right now it's Julio time. You gotta, you gotta go out there and like, you got to go three for four and, and account for for a couple of runs and a couple of ribbies. Like, you just have to. You got to go be that guy. Big players You're, make big plays at big times. Exactly. And, like, now's, now's the time. I I don't think anyone's – if anyone's questioning – that Julio isn't a big player. You're you're blind and you know nothing about baseball. Like uh, all of you, all of you that were hating on him earlier in the season because he started off slow and any these crazy asses on uh, Twitter or whatever that were like, we need to trade him now. Like the dude, all he's gone and done is, uh, you know, get thirty dingers, thirty home runs, hundred plus ribbies on the season is probably going to finish top five guaranteed and in all-star voting so like mvp voting <laughs> sorry yes mvp voting thank you uh so he is a big player it's time like this is the time when it's games on the line you got a reliever they should be scared of you and you need to make them pay for it so that's i mean that's all there is to it he had the chance in the first game against houston bases loaded you had nothing going you grounded into a double play. Use there's it. your one. Use <laughs> there's, it. Yeah, there's your one. You got one. Yeah. That, Use it as motivation. Yeah, exactly. Now it's time to now it's time to go crush the next one and and uh, hit a base clearing double or something. You know. So like as much. Or I mean, I let off by saying it's bleak, but at the same time, yeah, it's it's all in front of you. You what, just gotta what, go do it. What more do you ask for as a competitor, other than the chance 
to oh, yeah. go I mean, out and prove you control your own destiny at this point. Yeah. Go win. Yeah. Go it, prove that you're the better team. And the Mariners have that opportunity. Yeah. And you've done it all season against the Astros. Time to do it one more time. Go beat them. And then buckle down. Go take down the Rangers. Yeah. Rangers have your number. Yeah. Y- use that matter. as motivation. Yeah. Doesn't matter. It's it's uh zero zero on the year. Like Yep. Said, <laughs> this it's playoff point, baseball. Like, exactly. None of it matters anymore. It's zero zero. You go beat them. You go beat them today, <laughs> or you know, one game at a time. Go beat them. You you treat it like that. Like none of the record on the season doesn't matter. None of that matters. Just go win. So, I uh, it's going to be an exciting last final weekend of baseball. I'm I'm excited that the Seahawks are playing on on uh, Monday night as well because you can kind of like focus a little bit more on that Sunday game for the Mariners. Yeah. Like it's going to be an exciting day. Um, if I, I think that if it, it's uh, coming down to it, I, I may have to be at that game once again and waste all my money on watching the Mariners uh, to try to get into the playoffs, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. Hopefully yeah. the Mariners just take care of business. And by that Sunday game, they yeah, have doesn't... won all of them and it's just a seating game and not a, yeah, and not, not a loser go home type of game. Yeah, that'd be ideal for sure. So, so uh, I've been I've been a strong strong supporter of the Mariners all year. I still maybe maybe a bad position to hold, but I still feel confident that the Mariners they're just going to turn it on. I thought they were going to turn it on last weekend against the Rangers. They didn't. They got swept. Yeah, backs mean- against the wall. I think Mariners, I still think the Mariners are going to come up clutch here. Yeah, it seems to be their MO. So I think, uh, let's see it. Let's uh, let's uh, finish the season strong and uh, get this playoff run going because I think if they get there, if they get to the dance, it's going to be uh, a chance to be something special. Yeah, no holds barred once they, yeah. once they get in. Probably by the time that we record again, the Mariners will either be in the playoffs or they won't, which is kind of a scary proposition considering, you know, just a month ago it felt like they were definitely going to be in. I don't know. I, I feel, I still feel, you, you said it feels pretty bleak and I tend to agree with that, with that assessment, but I don't know. I still, I still, I got the Mariners. I got the Mariners making the playoffs. Yeah. I believe. See us rise. Believe. <laughs> yeah. Believe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ted believe. Lasso. Yeah, Ted Lasso. I, I believe that the Mariners are going to pull their best, the best out of them. It's playoff baseball now. Yeah. That's where they should be. Go be go be the team you're destined to be. Uh, I don't think there's a whole lot more to say about the Mariners at this point. It's just kind of wait and see. Yeah. You just got to see how it plays out. We'll have a full podcast to break down. I first saw you, I close my eyes. Yeah, hopefully uh, next week we'll be recording and telling you about uh, the Mariners matchup for the playoff run. So, I think we will. That's about that's about all I got to say about the Mariners. Uh, I think they're going to win. They'll probably go undefeated the rest of the season. Easy. Uh, you can you can send your comments to the uh, bring your lunch pail Instagram when they lose any of these games, which they probably will, (laughs) but I don't care. I don't care. 
S- send the messages. Like I said before, I don't read any of them. No one believes in us, okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No one believes. No one believes in the Mariners. No one believes in the Bring Your Lunch Pail podcast. But hey, do and you fuck wanna... Lou Holtz. I won. <laughs> I won my bets this week. So all right, I'm on a hot streak. So don't bet against me. Anyways, that's all we got for the podcast this week. We'll be back next week, hopefully with some more positive news. Uh, that's all I got for you. See ya. See ya. We out here sipping on the yak. Out here sipping on the yak. All right, you ready? Yep.